Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, Murph and Fred back together again, again? on ESPN oh, 1000. Again? How you doing, everybody? Mike Murphy and Fred Hubner on the. This is a crisp fall. Yes, it is. Saturday. It's beautiful. It may rain uh, all day Sunday, right. but the Bears are out of town. Bears are in Buffalo. They shuffled off to Buffalo <laughs> looking for a win against the Bills. That doesn't mean snow all day in Buffalo, no. Even no. in Buffalo, might be too soon for that. Yeah, but when it snows in Buffalo, it never stops. Oh, a friend of mine was from Buffalo. I went there once to visit yeah. back in the uh, day. Never again. No. Yeah. They, they always say the worst town in the summer, weather-wise, weather, the first, the worst town in the United States in the summer, St. Louis, the worst town in the winter, weather-wise, Buffalo. But we're not there. We are here. We'll talk plenty of uh, Bears and uh, Bills and got a few reflections backwards uh, at the Bears game last week. Some untapped topics, which, you know, it, Monday through Friday. We have so much great stuff here, and I listen, you know, miss a little, miss a lot, because we don't like to sort of re- retread. No, uh, why? what's the point? Go yeah. back over all the old ground, but we have plenty of new Bears stuff here. Hey, let's take a, you know, it. let's take a look at the Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll. You're always welcome to vote on any of the poll questions, but let's zero in right now. So if you watched the Bulls game last night or heard about it, here's... Uh, Here's our focus group by question for right now. All right. Uh, if healthy, if healthy, the uh, two and the seven ba- uh, bulls right now. That's that's right. The two and seven bulls. If healthy, vote now. The two and seven bulls would be a two and seven, b no, three and six, c four and five, or d they might be five and four. Fun game to watch last night. Carbon copy of the loss to uh, Denver two nights before. But trending in the right way, but uh, not winning. No. When you got got your top four players all hurt. Well, there you go. Or at least four of your top players hurt. If healthy. Yeah. If healthy, 3-3-2-3-7-7-6. The two and seven bowls, what would their record be? We'll have the great Sam Smith. From Bulls.com, nobody's been covering the Bulls like a blanket for the duration of Sam and a great guy on the radio. In fact, we have a great lineup today on Murph and Fred every Saturday night till noon. Sam Smith at 11. John DeWan's got some great numbers. We'll shoehorn in some baseball in about a half hour with John DeWan, the stat of the week man, the Bill James Handbook man. It is out. It is. Bill James Handbook is out. And at 10 o'clock, he's... Once a year, he said, yeah, I got a few minutes for my guys. Maybe uh, the the Bears guy that you've been listening to and following the longest in town. Some people call him Moon. I call him John Mullen over at NBC Chicago Sports. So mark it down, DeWan, in a few minutes. John Mullen at 10, talking Bears Sam Smith at 11. And uh, I got so many directions, Fred, we should go. I, I got an idea. Why don't we play... Uh, we play pick a lane. Okay. All right. Why don't we uh, play? Because I don't know what direction we should go here, Fred. Number one, we could go this way. We could go Chicago White Sox. Here's the angle. Should the White Sox try to compete for first place in the division this year? And why? 
has to do with the Cleveland Indians. Yes. Huh? Maybe some rumors that they might be looking to what? Do a rebuild, which would throw the the five team American League uh, a Central, what they call up for grabs. There's no doubt. Or pick a lane. Out of the market, usually we like to do Chicago, but how about this one? Jimmy Butler says uh, if he decides to play back-to-back games, it'll be his decision. Yeah. All right. What? <laughs> Just one more reason to not like the NBA. He says uh, Jimmy Butler, God love him, right? Someone has to. Jimmy Butler says, uh, well, you know, I, I know the team, uh, you know, uh, they have a say in the matter, of course. Uh, well, of course, yeah. Says, but, I, you know, it's important to me, too, how I feel. Yeah. All right. Okay, that's a lane we could choose. Uh, Chicago Cubs, very, very curious moves yesterday. Sort of uh, under the radar. The Cubs, well, they pick up the contract of uh, Cole Hamill. And From what we understand is because they were unable to come up to a, with a two-year deal, and Hamill's basically wanted all of his money in one year. Yeah. yeah. So the Cubs held the uh, paper, the club option, uh, you know, to sign him for $20 million. Uh, he had the, if not, they had to pick up, uh, give him $6 million right. as a parting a gift. But the curious thing was not that. He sort of the Cubs between a rock and a hard place. The curious thing was they unloaded a guy that you really don't hear much about, but his name's Smiley, Drew Smiley. Who? Left-handed starting pitcher. Well, he had TJ about a year ago, Tommy John. And he's gone. Bye-bye. Was it to save money? Uh, who was the fifth starter? We got Cubs talk coming up. Well, they got $7 million back from that. Ah, well, that maybe well, that was not it. Not back, necessarily, but didn't have to pay it. Yeah, well, you can phrase it either way you wish, really, right? Okay. Uh, Pick a lane, Fred. Also, this is Craig. So Magic Johnson, see what he says the other day? He tell, oh, the Lakers are three and five with with, uh, LeBron James, right? So Magic tells uh, head coach Luke Walton, all right, three and five is unacceptable for the Lakers. And then someone pulled up a soundbite, I guess, from the presser, the press conference, when uh, they signed uh, LeBron, right? And Magic Johnson said basically then, well, you know what? The uh, wins and losses aren't all that important. You know, uh, we got James. They were looking yeah. for the you know postseason. So now, in about, a, what, a month or two time, whatever, that's totally it's different. It's real easy to say that until they start coming up. You know, the <laughs> losses start piling up. Uh, how about the Bulls? So... Let's go to our Twitter poll question, Fred. This would be one of our lanes we can pick. If healthy, the Bulls, 2-7. and seven. You're 2-7 and seven Chicago Bulls. Their record, if they were healthy, in other words, all four of the right. big guys were back. Big guys in the sense that it's four of their top five or Marketing, six players. Marketing, Dunn, Portis, yeah. Valentine, Valentine, <clears throat> right. So what would the Bulls be? 2-7, and 3-6, and 4-5, and five, or 5-4. Five and four. Three three seven three three two three seven seven six. If you want to jump in, all right, Fred. I hear your music in the background. Pick a lane. Which way do you want to go first here? Um, we can go White Sox. Good. Yeah, right. I was I was uh, interested in uh, coming in. I was listening to MLB Network, and they were talking all about uh-huh. the uh, Indians and uh, not making qualifying offers to Carrasco and Kluber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kluber's under. Uh, 
control for not only next year, but the next two years after that. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the White Sox might want to move to uh, bring in a Corey Kluber because uh, if, in fact, the Indians are going to let their pitchers go or move their pitchers, I mean, that's always been one of their strengths is their pitching staff uh, when healthy. So maybe Trevor Bauer becomes number one and they move those guys. But if you're a White Sox fan, Corey Kluber would look really nice at the top of that rotation. Well, what's interesting, when Theo took over in his rebuild, as you uh, recall, he traded away all veteran players. Right. Now, the Sox have already done that. They've already traded away, well, the, you know, the Chris yeah. Sale and the uh, Adam Eatons of the world. Uh, but they have a ten times bigger now farm system of prospects right. than Theo ever had. Yeah. Theo had the big one, you know, Bryant, and then the Schwarber, and then the Elmora, and then the Hap. But nothing else. Barron. The White Sox, and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure that the top 100 uh, minor league prospects uh, lists all over. Everybody's got a list, you know. I'm sure they have five, seven, ten, you know. And yeah, I want to say they have at least seven, maybe oh, yeah. a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, what the Indians are doing now, the division other than Cleveland is up for grabs, but no one really is shooting for second place unless you're rebuilding. So, that's where this whole thing gets murky right now. Do you want to try to fast track? your White Sox, or you want to say, you know what, no, we're going to keep the powder dry, but you got all these kids down in the minors, you're supposed to know your own players better than the other teams know your own guys. Yeah. Also, just a sidebar, Fred, to augment what you were just talking about, please, the uh, the Indians said there's only two untouchables on our team, only two, and this is the division champs, only two, and that would be their... You know, all-star shortstop uh, Francisco Linder at uh, short. And uh, the MVP candidate, Jose Ramirez. Yep. Uh, everybody else, 23 guys off, and they lose a lot of free agents uh, if they don't retain them. You know, right. they got a lot of free agent guys. So this White Sox, well, everybody in the division. I shouldn't just, the Sox, the Twins, the Royals, and the Tigers, if any of them wanted to try to uh, leapfrog, this might be the year, even if they weren't planning on it. Sure. I think this Indians move is surprising a lot of these teams. See, with the re- uh, it probably is, but the reason I mentioned Kluber having three years is that even if the White Sox are not ready to win next year, it, you know, you bring in a Kluber and you'd have him for 20 and for 21. And, yeah. And uh, that would be key. Um, well, so you know, the th- problem is, who are you going to give up for him? And that's that's one of the questions. Well, that's where you got the 7, 8, 9, 10... Uh, uh, farm guys, and you have to decide, you know, where you're going to have a log jam, where you right. aren't, who's the one that maybe think, you know what, everyone likes this guy. We're a little, we don't know. We've seen him more than you. Know, you've seen right. your guy more. Doesn't matter how often the other teams scout, you see your, your guy every day. Let's look at the Kluber angle. I like that. Re- remember, and everybody does, when the John Lester signing sort of, you know, put, put Theo and the Cubs rebuild on the map. Told other guys like Zobrist, you know, hey, sign. There's a reason to sign here. A move to Kluber, maybe four or five years, whatever. You know, I understand what you're saying. Three, maybe four. That's huge yeah. to, to, to put the stamp on the turnaround. Yeah. It, 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 well, it would be. Yeah. So, you know, and they've, they've got a lot of pitchers. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, a ton of pitchers, probably more pitchers than anybody out there uh, in their, you know, in their farm, farm system. Yeah. So I, I saw some people uh, from the Sox Machine uh, site 
saying maybe move a guy like Dane Dunning. I don't want to do that. There are other guys who might be interested in moving, but Dane Dunning wouldn't necessarily be one of them for me. And um, but there are there are a lot of uh, a lot of young guys they've got. Uh, they're not going to move. I wouldn't think of Dylan Cease. Um, I don't want to move a Dane Dunning. Michael Kobach's going to be out for a year. So, but they do have a ton of guys, and one of them actually plays in the uh, uh, the fall league um, all star game tomorrow. Cool. Uh, Luis Robert is going to be the DH yeah. in that game tomorrow night. So, actually, it's tonight, um, seven or seven or eight o'clock on MLB Network. I'm so. happy to see that you're pronouncing it the uh, new way, which is the way everyone said it in the beginning. Then we got member about right. two dozen corrections, yeah. and now it turns out it's just like it's spelled right, right? Robert. Yeah, yeah. Not Robert. Not Robert. Yeah, okay, good. Three three two three seven seven six for Sox fans. Uh, pick a lane, Fred. You want to go to the uh, our Bulls question, our Cubs topic, uh, the Jimmy we Butler. Go Cubs. Yeah. Sox and Cubs would be uh, always a good okay, to talk about. Cool. So here's what's perplexing. Theo Epstein made what looked like a terrific uh, free agent signing 12 months ago uh, where they signed... A uh, left-handed starting pitcher under the radar for most of us, Drew Smiley, and he had Tommy John surgery. Now, they projected that he'd be ready, maybe, fingers crossed, last August, September, and most certainly, and you never know, it's surgery, don't get me wrong, most certainly, but TJ now is like, you know, 90, 95% successful. Some guys come back even better than they were, you know, so... Two million. It was a two-year deal. Two million last year and backloaded. Seven million this year. In other words, we're going to pay you two million dollars last year to rehab. Not right. bad. Not bad, though. And seven million this year. Now all of a sudden, he's gone. Which makes you ask, okay, then what's the big deal, Murph? You signed Cole. You got Cole Hamels in the trade. And now right. you inked him. Well, here's the big deal. You're right back to the not having a number five starter like Theo's had ever since they lost. Jason Hamels, that's with an S, not Cole Hamill, without the S. They haven't had the fifth starter since uh, they lost Jason Hamill after uh, the World Series year, right? We all know what happened in uh, 2017 with the big uh, tub of goo, uh, Anderson, whatever his first name, Brett Anderson, right? Now, if the season started tomorrow, and I know people hate that, the Cubs rotation... Not bad. John Lester, Cole Hamels, Kyle Hendricks, Jose Quintana. Right. But then you got that little problem of the fifth starter. It was supposed to be, I think anyone would have thought um, two days ago, it was going to be Drew Smiley. Mm-hmm. Right? No. Gone. So now you're back to you, Darvish. They really think you, Darvish. I know he's getting $20 million for, you know, long term. You really think you, Darvish? You're going to pencil in as your well, he's a fifth starter. What does that mean? Well, here it means everything. Because last year, you learned with Tyler Chatwood what happens when your fifth starter goes in the tank. The bullpen gets overused in April and May and June. And then you get arm injuries. You get overuse. So, oh, we're going to go. You got, and if you's not ready, and who would bet he is, or even if he's ready, what his head is going to be. You can always throw Tyler Chatwood back out there. Yeah. Fred, I Let all the baseball in walks uh, per, per innings or whatever. Guys with the yips. Uh-huh. I don't care if you're the catcher like Mackie Sasser years ago. Go, right. Google them up. I don't care if you're now block at second base with the Steve yips. Sachs. Google them up. Right. 
Wayback Machine, Steve Blass, a pitcher. I don't recall ever a guy with the yips, a pitcher, a position player, a catcher, where they overcome the yips. I don't know if it's ever happened. If it has, my bet. You think you think him walking all these guys is the yips? Yes. Is a, I mean, because most of the yes. time it's not being able to throw the ball like like Lester, not being able to throw the ball to first. Or, or you know, it's funny. The Cubs had another guy, Terry Mulholland, couldn't throw mm. the ball to first either. You're, you're he had right. a similar problem. He uh-huh. couldn't throw the ball to the bases either. All right. And um, so, yeah, you know. It doesn't get better. Well, yeah. Lester's still not throwing to first. He's bouncing it he's over. He's bouncing it, and it works. I mean, he's effective because he's got the... Picked a couple uh, guys off last year. He's got the short stride. Yeah. You know, he doesn't kick his leg up. And he's got the catcher controlling Badger Contreras, which is terrific and helps him. All right, so that means the Cubs' fist starter. Now that Smiley... Something happened here. I don't understand. It couldn't be the... Could it be the $7 million? It could it be just, yeah, because they uh, they really thought they, in my opinion, I thought they really felt that they were going to be able to get uh, Cole Hamels to say, listen, instead of get, us giving you 20 next year, why don't we give you 12 or 13? 30 over get, two. Right, give whatever. you 30 over two years, yeah. make it 15 instead. Right. And Cole Hamels wants, eh, you know what, I'll take my 20 next year and he we'll go from there. stuck it to him. Yeah. Yeah. He so this way him. they said, well, we got to save some money because we want to go out and sign Bryce Harper. <laughs> so if we're going to save some money, we don't want to get too much into the, right. uh, you know, in, into the uh, luxury tax. So let's let's see if we can save some money. Let's move a guy that's going to cost us $7 million. Um, we knew that they were going to try to move somebody. And I guess Drew Smiley was the easiest one to move. Then there have been reports. Who else, who else would they be able to move at for you know for a decent price? All of their other young guys aren't making any money. I've been saying all along, and you can vouch for me, please, Fred. Well, not please. If you if I if you don't, that's fine. That this is Theo's biggest year off season of his seven uh, you know winter time so far, and as long as he's got the checkbook, he's going to be okay. If he doesn't have that big open checkbook, then we'll find out what this guy is going to do. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets to blank cutting time. And I don't mean, ch- well, check cutting time, okay? How's that? And uh, maybe Mr. Ricketts is tired of writing that check. We'll find out. This The fifth Cubs starter. Well, wait a minute, Murph, you're forgetting. Okay, you Darvish, check off that. Uh, Jose, uh, uh, Chatwood, check that one off. That leaves Mike Montgomery. Now you're back in the same trick bag. He is best in the bullpen where you get the two and a third out of him every third day, and he takes away the innings, uh, you know, load from the uh, one inning, the two inning guys. And uh, then if Justin, I don't, you know, I'm not in love with Justin Wilson. He's a free agent now. They could still sign him. But think about this. Here's a guy that he could sign with the Cubs. He's just starting to look like get it together. Right. And now... You're going to have to pay through the nose for him. If you don't have the lefty Justin Wilson, you don't have in the bullpen, you don't have Montgomery, then you're right back where you were. So this was, to me, inexplicable. The unloading, there's something we don't know. See, there's something back there in the weeds. I just don't get it. If it's just the money, then they're in trouble. If they don't have $7 million for a number 5 starting pitcher, I don't know what they're going to, you know... Yeah. Where's the dough? Maybe they're not spending it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find I mean, out. I'm looking, and they've they've got they had money they needed to save. They were they were looking to move a guy, and you're looking at their their salary base. You're not moving Lester. You can't move Hayward. Darvish, you're not moving. Yeah. Chat Chatwood's getting twelve and a half. I don't know who wants to pick him up. Zobras is at twelve. You're not moving him. Rizzo's you're not moving. Quintana, yeah. you're not moving. 
<clears throat> Brandon yeah. Morrow right. is, you know, a guy it's that was hurt, so we hard to move him. Yeah. Um, well, they, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The only way out of this for Theo, since he has no farm system, he never developed a starting pitcher. He's really never developed a, a bullpen man to speak of. The only way out of this is, hey, Mr. Hey, Tom, hey, boss. Bring me that bottomless uh, checkbook again. Well, we will see. Uh, let's spin over to, uh, there's a, a Vic Fangio cut that ran this week, Fred. Uh, by the way, John DeWan in about 10 minutes. We'll have some great baseball chatter with him. We've got the one, the only, John Mullen. You may call him Moon at 10 o'clock uh, from NBC uh, Sports Chicago, talking bears. And the great Sam Smith. Ah, what a day. What a lineup. Bulls at top of the hour at 11 o'clock. So, Fred, there's uh, a soundbite that's been played all week, and it's interesting. Let me find it here. Uh, okay. But I, I had a little... I just wanted to pick your brain on this a minute. You know as much about football as anybody here on the station that hasn't played the game, right? right? Okay, right. I fully believe that. Now, this was Vic Fangio, and a lot of people, you know, Monday through Friday, working, you're doing other things, and maybe you didn't hear this cut. If so, I'd like to play it for you anyway, uh, and and uh, we're going to break this down real quick. This was during the week. In fact, this was Friday, I believe, on ESPN 1000, Vic Fangio. Uh, this was at one twenty-eight in the afternoon, so that would have been our guys. Uh, oh, that would have been one twenty. That would have been uh, Carmen, Carmen, Carmen Yurko. Yurko and Ca- right. Carmen Yurko, right? Of course. And Vic Fangio's talking and reflecting uh, back as to you know, well, should we have played uh, Khalil Mack in that game against the Dolphins? Uh, and I'm sorry, then we brought yeah after the injury in the New England ankle, yeah, right? Okay. So did we bring him back too soon? Obviously, he didn't play against the uh, uh, Jets. Uh, Vic? We've talked a bit, but nothing, you know, not like it's uh, sitting down i got to psychoanalyze him or anything, you know. Um, just ask him how he's feeling, how he's doing. You know, he, you know, to his credit, he tried to play with it. You know, some people would say um, we were wrong to play him after he got hurt early in Miami in that game and then wrong to play him. The next game, but you know, there's another lens to look at that. A lot of people think players don't play through injuries, etc. And this guy's saying he can go. You don't know him as great as you know some other guys based on time. And I prefer to look at it through the lens of that this guy's trying to fight through and play, and he's not letting an injury take him out. You know, in hindsight, should we have taken him out earlier? Probably, but you know, guy says he can go, he can go, and we got to see it. All right, Vic Sandra, now I like the honesty, and I'm not going to criticize him at all. But here's what I wonder, Fred. We had a uh, Twitter poll question last week. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Whose decision will it be, or whose decision was it, or right. should be, uh, in a case like this, or any player, you know, will he suit up, or as they say in the NFL, dress out? Mm-hmm. I like that phrase. Will he dress out, or, uh, or, or not dress out? And uh, four suspects were quite obvious. Well, it's the player's decision. It's the uh, doctor's, the staff, medical staff decision. It's the head coach's decision or the general manager's decision. I thought it was the general manager's decision. It came that was 8% came in last. Yeah, Yurko has said for a long time that it always comes down to the doctors. It comes down to the trainers, the doctors. If the doctors say you're ready to go, you can go. Yes, but that doesn't mean then that... 
GM can't still overrule the yes. Yeah. See, I, I understand. I'm not saying that the doctors say no, that Brian Pace has the right to say, well, yeah. No, no, I understand that. And Yurko's correct. But did Yurko or Enki wear to step two? Doctors say he's ready to go. Here's my question. At 1030, they have to be announced for a noon game, right? For the, right. the inactives. Yeah. So at 10 a.m., don't they work out Mac? On the field. Yeah, he was on the field. Yeah, and you yeah. work him out. Yeah. And the doctors are probably watching, and the head coach is watching, and the GM's watching. So my question, if everything Vic Fangio just said there, well, in retrospect, and, you know, and we don't know him real well because he's new, and yada, yada, and the, the cow jumped over the moon. When they worked him out, yeah. what did they see? That's what I would like to, and we'll never find out. I understand that. What? Well, what did I they do say know when last week. I do know last week we had Jeff Dickerson on, and um, he said Khalil Mack was on the field, and he was actually catching balls and leaping into the air to catch the ball and, and coming down. So, so then what happened at noon? Yeah, well, they decided they decided that uh, right. despite what kind of shape he's in, they weren't going to play him. Now, I'm not sure if I got a feeling that was the team decision as opposed to a Khalil Mack decision. All right. So, all right. Here's the other thing. Has it retarded his, his repairs rehab? In other words, would he be ready to go 100% tomorrow if he hadn't played, played against the Patriots? See, and that's the other thing we'll never know. And, and no. There's no answer. No. We'll never know. So they saw something, and then Fangio's honest and says, you know, maybe we made a mistake. Well, you don't say that unless you really feel you did make a mistake, which is fine. People make mistakes. I just like to know what they saw and what changed between 10 a.m. and the 10.30 when they announced and then the, the game at noon. But we will move on. Hey, we got some great inside numbers, Cubs and Sox, from the new Bill James Handbook. Spend a few minutes with John Dewan, the stat of the week guy. And then uh, uh, back on the Bears beat, John Mullen, Sam Smith in the 11 o'clock hour. It's more from Fred. Glad you're with us. Vote now. Vote at ESPN 1000. Machine, you know that means Fred. Time for the man with the numbers. Welcome back, everybody. Murph and Fred, John Mullen talking bears in thirty minutes. But let's go to the stat of the week, man. Baseballinfosolutions.com. It's John Dewan now on the radio in Chicago with Murph and Fred. Good morning, Murph. Johnson. Hey, Murph. Hello. Ah, we got a bad uh, connection there with John. Yeah, he was there for a second. He's probably going to crunch some more numbers. Going, you know what? <laughs> I see his numbers in the Bill James handbook, and my White Sox, I, I don't like the numbers we have here for Moncada. I wonder if we made a mistake. Well, I don't like the Moncada numbers either. Well, I got the Bill James handbook. We'll reestablish with John Dewan. This comes out every year, 30th publication. It's not just a bunch of numbers either, Fred. That's the thing. There's essays. and It uh, actually seems like there's more essays well, uh, this year than there have been in, the, in a while, well, this, which is great. Essays by the great Bill James. Essay by John Dewan. John, we thought you broke away that I double-checked the uh, Yoan Mankata numbers, because as a Sox fan, you probably said, wait a minute, I got, I, did my computer spit these numbers out? How you doing, John? Hey, I'm doing good. Yeah, I had to <laughs> keep counting those strikeouts. It's, it's hard to count that high. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, you have the projections. That's in the back of the book. You got all kind of, you got numbers, uh, but not just the the raw numbers, but you analyze the numbers. Uh, Great essays. We'll tell everyone about the Bill James Handbook. You got the Fielding Bible Awards. That was, John Dewan invented that some years ago. Look at this, Fred. Strike zone runs saved. You got a chapter here, pages on the shift update. John DeWan was at the forefront of that also. The projections and the great Bill James with some unbelievable essays that you sit down, you pour a seven up, maybe you, maybe you toss a little something in there. You, this is unbelievable again. You guys have outdone yourself the 30th year for the Bill James handbook, right, John? How about that? 30th anniversary. Right. Uh, we started this book uh, back in 1989, 1990 handbook. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, you know, the invention of, of us when I was with Stats at that time sure. and Bill James. And then uh, we started doing it my, at Baseball Info Solutions. So it's really exciting. And what's really cool, every year we kind of leave room for Bill's writing. And this year, we had to add extra pages to the book because yes. he wrote so much. It's yeah. like, oh, my gosh, we got to get this good stuff in there. Oh, he, he, uh, he wrote, in fact, in a moment, we'll dovetail back to this, the first uh, essay, The Natural Trend, Trend Lines, you know, of baseball. And he's got some interesting thoughts here, Fred, on, some great stuff. on the launch angle. Uh, sort of opposite what Theo Epstein said. But let's get into the uh, nuts and bolts. Give us a few of those interesting numbers that you guys have throughout about, what do we have here, 500, 600 pages. But uh, give us a little Cubs or Sox angle to get us rolling here today, John. All right. Well, let's start with the Fielding Bible Awards. They just came out this week, and we announced the Fielding Bible Awards at every position. Uh And in Chicago, we have Javi Baez winning his third Fielding Bible in a row. Fiddling Bible Award in a row um, at the multi-position slot. So uh, we not only have each uh, each position, but we have multi-position, right. which we added a few years ago. Javi Baez wins his third in a row, so that was really cool. Now let me ask you this. I believe Javi, I've never asked you this, or t- I believe Javi Baez was the, might have been the reason that you had said, you know, we need to add, you know, in the old days it was called utility player, but that meant a guy that was just a, a part-time man that could play anywhere. Did you add this extra thing, extra position called multi-position just for Javi? No, we added it because of Ben Zobris. Oh, okay. Ben Zobris was doing that at Tampa Bay. It's like, wait a minute, he's not qualifying at any position, but he's playing great second okay. base, he's All playing right. great outfield. <laughs> so he was the reason, and he came in sixth this year in the in the uh, voting. That's uh, another cool thing we have wow. in the book. We have the complete voting. Yeah. You know, who voted what for who? Like Peter Gammons, who did he vote for? And Chris Singleton, who did he vote for? And and uh, Bill James, who did he vote for? And you see it all laid out. You know, some of the other guys in Chicago came in the top ten. Rizzo at first base. Baez actually qualified at second base and came in sixth. Yalmer was top ten at third base for the White Sox. Russell at short. Almara, wow. Almora in center. Hayward in right. So we had a lot of Chicago players who uh, played some good defense, especially the Cubs. Hey, hold on and a second. Baez hold, wins his third. hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, where, the two, the two White Sox fans, I'll step aside here. Where's Adam Engel at? 
Adam Engel came in 11th, uh, no, 12th in center field. So I had him in my top 10, but the other voters didn't quite okay. <laughs> see it. Did they not see? Did, did they not see all those over the fence catches that one week That's he right. made like five of them? Yeah, he made three in one week. That's never <laughs> yeah. ever been done since we've been tracking home run robberies. So that, that's on page fifty five fifty four in the book. We track all the home yeah. run robberies. So yeah, so Adam Angle led with those three that he had in one week. You know, John, one of my favorite uh, uh, sections here in the uh, Bill James Handbook is manager's record, page 471, and you break down left and right everything. Fred, I know you were looking at some of that earlier runs created. Uh, you got all these great things. Manufactured runs it, a little bit before the manager's thing. They even, yeah. Now, here's my favorite, though. Pinch runners used by manager, all right? Terry Francona led the majors in pinch runners each of the last two years using 37 more than anybody else. However, here's the flip side. Dave Roberts, the uh, manager, of course, of the uh, Dodgers in the World Series, famous, as you point out here, John, for the uh, big stolen base in the 2004 World Series. Well, Roberts has used the uh, second fewest pinch runners over the last two years. I, I love that. It's his little nugget you don't get anywhere else. The guy that stole the bases uses them the uh, least almost, and Frank Kona, who probably never stole a base in his life, he uses them all the time, right? Yeah, it's hilarious because that's <laughs> what Dave Roberts is known for, that tremendous stolen base in the World Series. Sure. Which ran. Yeah. You know, so funny. That's a good one. I like it. So i, I got to give you my favorite one in the book. All right. Uh, this will shock Chicago White Sox fans. So, um, let's see, what page is this on? This is on page 523. Uh, we list, we list uh, for each league yeah. the best hitters by position. Mm -hmm. And to qualify, you have to have started about half the season at playing that position. And we only count your batting stats when you're playing at that position. All right. So, for example, Mike Trout led all center fielders with a 11, I think it's 1136 OPS. That's almost 300 points higher uh -huh. than the next best. That's amazing. Yeah. Center fielder. So, yeah, it's just incredible. But here's the interesting thing. Who is the uh, best hitting catcher who was the best hitting catcher in all of baseball in 2018 was it gary sanchez or yasmani grandel or buster posey salvador perez no nope, none of those guys nope. none of those guys omar narvaez with an 854 ops Classic. When he started the game, when he played catcher during the game, the highest among all catchers in all of baseball. That, that's just astounding to me. It's like, who knew what what an amazing hitter we had in Omar Nevarez? Right there on page 523, Fred, your yep. guy. You've, you've always loved him. And uh, the, the platoon with uh, Smith, who they've recently uh, released, sack strongest behind a plate hitting in, in yeah, baseball. That's American amazing. Yeah. Length. amazing. And he actually, uh, Smith actually got picked up right away uh, by the Angels. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Narvaez, 
who we didn't know much about, weren't so sure about him, but he showed last year he can hit, and that's a good thing because, you know, maybe when some of these young catchers come up, Narvaez will still be there, and, um, you know, he works pretty well with these young pitchers, so that'd be nice, too. Visiting that John Dewan final minutes here, and then we'll tell everyone how to get the book, of course, the essays. Essay number one, let's quick go into this because it's got a lot of uh, local interest considering that the Theo Epstein postseason press conference right after the you know the uh, the ending of the quick ending of the season he talked and he talked and people love listening to him because he talks and he talks and people well they love listening to him and he said launch angle and i think everyone knows now that means trying to lift the ball with your swing launch angle is not a fad all right, well, Theo said it, that's got to be golden. But there's maybe only one other person that a lot of fans would listen to even more, and that would be uh, the great Bill James, the godfather, along, along with you, of a statistical baseball analysis. And Fred, uh, John, uh, Bill James says, here, I'll just take a paragraph or two uh, in one of the essays, uh, there's not a big difference in batting average on ground balls versus fly balls. The big difference is uh, in-line drives. Uh, he talks about if a ball is hit in the air, it does not decelerate as quickly. Well, that's, you know, common sense is when the ball hits the ground, it slows down. The idea a few years ago was to get hitters to do more of that good stuff hitting fly balls. He says, uh, I'm jumping the gun. Now, listen, in declaring this attempt to be a failure. What? A failure? Let me read on. But in my opinion, this is just a fad. He's talking about launch angle. Then you go ahead uh, in the, in the uh, thesis here. Fastballs are tough to connect with. The problem with trying to launch the baseball is it leads to strikeouts. And we know, Fred, you found here that teams in general that strike out a lot don't do as well as teams that don't strike out a lot. Talking about the White Sox again. Well, here's the conclusion. Now, John Dewan, I know two of the biggest names in baseball are Theo Epstein and Bill James, and that's the beauty. They are uh, at opposites right here. Well, Bill, they once worked together to get some championships in yes, Boston, and yes. uh, but here they're an option, and, and, and yeah, in direct opposition. Yep. Here, Bill James concludes uh, it's a it was a fad more than a trend, but he says I must admit that fads and trends seem to overlap. So. Uh, I'm not going to make you be the deciding vote because those are the two big best guys out there, most people say. But isn't it interesting is the bigger thing, John, to find even with numbers, two guys look at them at 100% opposite. Fad, no fad. Bill James and Theo on launch angle. Yeah, yeah, Bill says that it's true that some hitters benefited, but in the in the aggregate, he thinks it's a fad, and it's uh, it's it's going to play itself out. Is how he thinks of it. Now, on the other hand, he believes in shifting, and that was a an argument that I had with him uh-huh. going back literally to almost fifteen years now. And I was, you know, kind of telling him, "Hey, Bill, they, shifting should be done like twenty times more often than it is." And, <laughs> And he's watching David Ortiz get shifted, and he's watching David Ortiz beat the shift. So he's looking at, you know, some some anecdotal evidence. But yeah. if you look back, you know, once again in 2018, shifting has gone up in Major League Baseball. 
Uh, the teams are saving runs with shifting. The White Sox have the second most shifts in all of baseball, so they're really? with the program. He does. Yeah, both he, were last in shifting, which less. is surprising because Joe, Joe yeah. Madden was at the start of it, at the forefront. Sure. But they're very effective when they do shift, so he, he that's does, another interesting one. Yes, Bill James does bring up a good point when he's talking about that, though. He does say still about 70% of league balls in play in 2018 were not against the shift of any kind, so there's still a long way for that to count to go, for that count to go up since it appears that it still is going to go up. Yeah, I think it will, and, and there's still room. There's still room. So uh, that, that's what I talk about in my article about shifting, how much room there is and, uh, Great stuff. and how effective it is. So, Well, John, you've never been a shifty guy, but you're on top of the shift. <laughs> how do we get a hold of the – well, I have one in my hand, Fred. You have Me one. too. How do we uh, get the, the book out to the uh, fans, the Bill James uh, handbook? It's the best. It's 30 years and better than ever. Well, I just was in Barnes & Noble – and I saw about 20 books on the shelves ready for, for fans to come and grab them. Uh-huh. Amazon.com or directly from the publisher at the ACTASports.com. So pretty much anywhere. Um, it's, it's just a, a fantastic edition of the book, our, maybe our best ever. So uh, I'm pretty proud of it. You, you should have done what Jesse Rogers, he's, he has his book, you know, Try Not to Suck, the Cubs in 2016 book that, that's doing real well. He goes to uh, the, the bookstores and he sees five, ten of them and he pulls one out and turns it so it's a facing, fa- not just the side of the book. He turns it so it's facing so people walk by and they see the whole front. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I go past Barnes and Noble, I see one turned. I'll know hey, John was here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, John and uh, StatOfTheWeek dot com, bigger and better than ever. We got to run. We're getting back to John Mulden in a few minutes with some Bears talk. Always great hot stove baseball with our friend John Dewan. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. All right, thanks, guys. All right, see you later. Murph and Fred, hey, let's get back on the Bears beat. I have something here, Fred, that I I need you to help me uh, uh, angle out okay. uh, from the game. In fact, we have a lot of things here. John Mullen coming up. There was a thing called the fair catch kick. I want to get into that. And uh, the screenplay, oh, here, under the radar. Who was the Bears' under-the-radar star player in the victory against the Jets? No one's mentioned this. No one's brought it up. I'll give you a hint. It had something to do with the 70-yard screen play pass touchdown to uh, Tariq Cohen. 312-332-3776. Busy day. Murph and Fred stepping aside. Vote now at ESPN 1000. It's Murph and Fred. Let's get back to the phones. A few minutes away from John Mullen, Bears talk. I have the Bears under the radar, player of the game from last Sunday. No one's mentioned this play, but let's bring in Bear fan Bob on 294. Hey, Bob. Hey, good morning. Your answer is Cody Whitehair. Anyways, uh, close, public, close. Service, yep, public service announcement. Being that I'm a clock man, you got to take the time and turn it back. Stop your pendulums on your grandfather clocks. Come back an hour later. Reset the time. And I know you just got a minute. So, anyways, if the Bears want to win this game, they better do better with that offensive line uh, and open up some holes. This business of running two yards, two yards, two yards is going to get them nothing. And these receivers better learn to get some separation. Uh, So uh, 
or a floaty-eyed sling master doesn't be throwing too many interceptions. Otherwise, the Bears are going to lose this game. Anyways, guys, I know you got to go, Murph. Have a great day. Talk at you soon. All right, thanks, Bear fan Bob. He's about three feet off. Okay. Uh, of the, uh, the the Bears. Well, let's tell you what. Let's here's the play. Then I'll tell you why James Daniels was the under-the-radar player of the game. Let's go back to the uh, first quarter. No score. And it's the uh, 70-yard pass. Well, two yards in the air. 68 yards rack. Run after catch. That was the, We talked about that a couple of weeks right. ago with quarterback ratings. And is it really a 70-yard pass? Anyway, watch James Daniels. And watch what he does as he's running out near Cohen to try to be a lead blocker. Let's be honest. You don't need guys out there from the linemen trying to uh, lead for Cohen. Whoosh, he's gone. But watch James Daniels here. Uh, okay, courtesy of CBS TV. Five minutes to go in the first quarter and tied up 0-0 Bears ball. Second and ten at their own 30. Here's a second and ten coming up for Chicago. And it's there for Cohen. He's going to outrace his blockers and outrace everybody. In the secondary he goes and he will not Chicago. And now you're seeing the electricity. Well, the Jets send all these guys. Well, who's covering the back? It's a screen. What a perfect call. And look it. No one's covering the back. They all came after him. And when you leave Cohen one-on-one and he has that much space, you ain't touching him. Thank you, CBS. Fred, I watched that play and I finally said, look at that. Here's what happened. James, it was a seven-man blitz. Right. So it was all open there, as we know, in the in the middle, you know, linebacker area. And uh, Daniels uh, and uh, might have been Whitehair were out there. They were going to be lead, you know, blocks. Yeah. As uh, Jim Nancy said, well, you can't, you know, you don't need them when, when it's calling. But here's what happened. It was that lob pass. Right. Sort of like they call like a free throw. Yep. Touch. And Daniels, he's going out and he looks and Cohen's right in front of him. Cohen has now sort of turned around to get the pass. You know how like a base runner in baseball, if you're running from first to second, and uh, they're throwing the ball down, on a, and you can see the shortstop's eyes in his glove and yeah. maybe veer over because you see in his eyes that the ball's coming? Well, the ball almost hit Daniels in the helmet. Okay. Which would have been a disaster. Number one, it would have been incomplete. But right. it also, I believe, is automatic and eligible receiver if a pass hits alignment, I believe. It's a flag. I, Only if he's on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Well, he I was think. down two yeah. yards, but not five. But anyway, the point is, you know what Daniels did? He, he sees Cohen's eyes and realizes that Cohen, the ball's like, and he veers out of the way at the last second, or it would have tapped off his helmet, and a 70-yard play would have been just an incomplete pass, maybe a flag, whatever. That would have been bad. And that was huge. That would have been a bad way to start. To go up 7 nothing. Our guy, and he's terrific, uh, Dan or- Orlovsky, uh, was on uh, ESPN 1000 earlier this week uh, with the Caparoo, I believe, and he says, these screen passes, I'd never really thought about this. Listen to this. These screen passes are not that easy to throw. They hit the long screen, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's making a big deal about it of, oh, man, he's uncovered or, you know. Yeah, that doesn't happen by accident. Like, that stuff happens because co- coaches spend hours and hours and hours of scouting 
and what are defense's tendencies or how do we set this formation up to make sure that we get the matchup that they want. One of the things that stood out was I, I realized that when the Jets early on in games, if they get a three-by-one formation, they love to blitz that early on. Not a two-by-two, two, but a three-by-one. Well, sure enough, the Bears come out in that three-by-one formation and they blitz the cross dog with the nickel. So they send an all-out blitz. And so, it, it, yeah, does it look silly that he's uncovered? Of course. But it's actually really good coaching that makes it happen. And it's, a, it's an educated guess. It's a roll of the dice. People that say, like, oh, it's lucky, that bothers me. Like, no, no, let's give credit where credit is due. Screen pass and legit is, in, is a very difficult throw because it happens, like, so fast. And it, as quarterbacks, we spend lots of time throwing out routes and in routes and post. I mean, we've been throwing them our whole lives. We don't spend time throwing screen passes, and so that screen pass has to have such the, the right trajectory to get up over somebody. With I mean, imagine I'm throwing a ball four or five yards away from my body, eight, nine, ten feet in the air, but it has to get up over and then down. So it's a difficult throw. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame for it, but it's a difficult throw. But just the timing, the feel, the spatial touch of the throw is a good throw. Interesting, huh? Yep. Like a free throw. Yeah. You got to lob it. You can only throw it a few yards downfield, but it's got to go 10 feet in the air. Well, the thing is, it's the difference between screen passes and the center screen, and that's what that was. It was a ah, screen over the middle, yeah. which doesn't happen all that often, right? especially for the Bears. I mean, I don't think the Bears have probably run one for about 30 years. Good stuff. And if they haven't had a free kick uh, uh, after a fair catch. Uh, well, we'll talk about that maybe later in the day since 1968. John Mullen next. More Bears talk. We'll get back on the baseball beat for sure. And Sam Smith, Bulls talk one hour from now. Hey, we have a lot of Twitter polls in action. Vote right now. Back in a flash, Murph and Fred. Vote at ESPN 1000. Uno, dos. One, two, tres, cuatro. Our number two. One minute away from John Mullen. NBC Sports Chicago talking Bears. Fred, the first hour was so busy, but we look busy again this hour. We flew by. John's yep. the best. Mm-hmm. One, once a year, John Mullins. Yeah, jump on with you guys. First, let's get the results of our active Murph and Fred fan focus group Twitter poll. The question is, and you uh, vote a, a or B, a Bears win in Buffalo tomorrow is a gimme. Now, anyone who golfs knows a gimme, Fred, except right. I said a putt it in. Just, go ahead, just for last putt it in. No gimmies around here. That means like an automatic, right? The Bears, a Bears victory tomorrow in Buffalo is a gimme. A, yes, it is, Murph. It's a lock. B, uh, no such thing in the NFL. Let's bring in executive producer Eric Ostrowski. Yeah, what the fans say? This is pretty tight. So it's. 44% saying yes, it's a lock, uh-huh. and 56% oh. saying no such thing in the NFL. Well, that's interesting. Let's talk more on that. Let's bring in John Mullen. Always nice enough to spend a few minutes once a year or so with Murph and Fred from NBC Sports Chicago. Good morning, John. Guys, how are you doing? Good, John. Uh, we're doing great. Uh, I don't know if you were eavesdropping just now, but the fans are pretty near 50 50. The Bears. Sunday, it's a gimme with Buffalo, and they about half said, yes, uh, it's a lock. About half said, hey, no such thing in the NFL. 
John, you've already made your picks in that, I know, but uh, how would you uh, A or B? No point spread involved. Just, you know, is it a lock? Well, let's ask, why don't we get the Minnesota Vikings on the line? Yes. Ask them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and this is a team that couldn't beat Miami with Brock Osweiler. They're, I'm sorry, we don't talk gimme yet. Right. Uh, next question, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as there's there's no such thing as a lock in the uh, in the NFL. I mean, just look at that Thursday night game. Uh, Nick yeah. Mullins going against the Raiders team. Nobody knew who Nick Mullins was, and they they beat the Raiders thirty four to three. I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen in this league, John. Although I think one of us could have quarterback anybody right now. I, I could ask you: Isn't there something? I don't. I'm not sure why it is, and, and I shouldn't feel this way because Gruden's a University of Dayton alum like myself. But isn't there something kind of vaguely satisfying about him getting his butt kicked? I don't oh, know. Sure. There's just, uh, sure there is. Yeah, I, yeah. Arrogance, I don't think, sits well. I don't think it plays well, well in Chicago just in general. But I think the, um, you know, the, the, the arrogance or pride goes before the fall uh, or something. So I, I'm not sure. Again, it's, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm not sure anybody's really sorry to see anything go wrong for the Raiders after they kind of, uh, you know, dumped. They've dumped poor Oakland too many times, so I'm sorry. No sympathy, and John Mullen or Nick Mullins or anybody can uh, <laughs> well, kick their butt as far as I'm concerned. Well, let me just play, and I agree with you, but let me play the devil's advocate. Was not this, in our opinions, the game plan from the beginning? Ten-year deal, we're moving to Vegas. Let's just do this. Let's not tell everybody, but let's back up the truck. We're going to do a rebuild. We'll take a lot of heat, but we're out of here in two years. In fact, I somewhere that they could move next year in a one-year facility at the UNLV football or campus, campus stadium or something. Don't you think that this is all planned, or do you think they're, they're surprised that they're uh, in the tank? No, I, I think there's a certain amount of planning to it, and there's that, that brings up a whole other major peeve of uh-huh. mine in, in yeah. just in general sports. Sure. You know, there's organizational quitting. If a player yeah. did that, you'd mm. be all over them. Yeah. But we somehow don't mind if teams, do, you know, oh, we're doing a rebound. It means we don't want to pay money. Um, I'm sick of, you know, the, the teams at the middle of this baseball season just dumping people. Um, and then somebody points to, well, that's how Houston rebuilt. But, you know, one team in 10 successfully does that. But in the meantime, you're not, you're not, uh, Charging any, any less for tickets if I'm hmm. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, it's something repugnant about that, and I, I don't want to hear it. You know, the, the good teams rebuild on the fly, but all of a sudden, you know, bad team. Well, yes, rebuild, and let's just let's get rid of Amari Cooper, and let's get rid, yeah. get rid of Khalil Mack. Um, and I even had to watch in the World Series. Yeah, I'm sure you got rid of Chris Sale for a good reason. But, you know, once you get a franchise player, why don't you build around him or her, if it's depending on the sport? But teams don't do that. And so I don't want to hear about their rebuilding, the 10-year plan. And I don't know. I, I, half that stuff seems marketing to me anyway. So um, yeah, I'm just not buying it. I think in, in five years, they'll still be bad. Well, well and, and then Fred, I know, is going to jump in, but... John, I have, and I don't want to beat my dead horse, but I've hated the fact that the draft encourages losing for, for many, mm-hmm. many years. Now, you as a football historian, uh, 
I, I, I lay this out every uh, year or two, so I'm going to quick do it again. The reason for the draft invention, the draft was invented by good old George Hallis in mm-hmm. 1938. Now, everyone thinks in the leagues, not just the NFL, this is for competitive balance. I'm talking NBA, MLB, everybody. Oh, it's, you know, the worst team picks first, competitive balance. Uh, history no. will show if you read up on it. That was not George Hallis's altruistic uh, reason, was it? Not at all. No, it was geographic. It was, uh, let's, let's make sure that local teams can get their local guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I know Mike Florio over Pro Football Talk and different people. I, if you if you applied a draft in any other business, would you, people would be screaming. It'd you know, be you're coming out of college. It would be you're coming, yeah, you're coming out of college, and uh, so, okay, well, you're, you're an IT genius. Yeah. You're, you're a first-round pick in the... <laughs> In the tech world, right. and okay, IBM had drafts first, so they take you. So Hewlett Packard, <laughs> uh, sorry, Dell, sorry, Apple, sorry. Um, you go work where you're told. I, again, that's a whole other show's worth of stuff. But I, I, you know, it's funny, guys. Yeah. I wonder in, in 15 years if that if that will be successfully challenged oh. and done away with. You know, I think we're I think we're going to see some sea changes in sports. And you know, with the college kids and. I, again, Absolutely. You're, you're right, Mark. If you really look at the it was it was nothing. It wasn't even for competitive balance. It, it was even even a lower objective than that. Well, it was it was also more than that. Uh, the first uh, before the draft in 1937 in the NFL, the number one college player happened to be from. Uh, the University of Chicago at Jay mm-hmm. Burwanger and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, uh, they offered him, uh, you know, ten thousand dollars, and then uh, the New York Giants offered him eleven thousand. And there was a bidding war because there was no draft. And George Hallis, as the legend goes, but it was also in his book Hallis on Hallis uh, mm-hmm. thirty years ago. He said, "No, no, no, no." Uh, he says, "I called up all the other owners. Collusion. I called up the other owners. Said, are we nuts?" Let's do this. Instead of bidding against each other for Burwanger, we'll have a draft, and that way only one team can bid on him. Take it or leave it, you blankety-blank, $10,000. And we'll have, as you said, a regional thing where if he's in your area, you get him, but no one else can bid on him. It was to suppress salaries, and to this day it does. And back then, like you said, it was geographical. I like your uh, uh, your theory on the computer. Let's go even to the... So, John, you you are the best hamburger flipper at uh, Hamburger University, okay? Mm-hmm. No one flips the burger better than you. And McDonald's gets a hold of you on graduation dances. We're going to give you $25 an hour because you're the best flipper. And you'll, this is great. But then Burger King's, oh, sorry, that we had a draft. What? Mm-hmm. We had a draft, and we drafted you. You're going to uh, work for Burger King, but we're only going to give you $12 an hour. But I got Sorry, you're flipping for us. Everything about yep. it is it's uh, illegal and it's collusion, and they do have an antitrust exemption, but we don't want to everyone to uh, drive off the road because they want to hear about the bears. <laughs> Fred, help me out here. Let's get us back on the road to some bears talk, please. Well, well yeah, real quickly, uh, you know, we talk so much about all the things that happened in the Bears game last week. And I just want to make sure that the, the one guy that I thought played the best game defensively uh, gets his, his credit. 
Uh, good old number 37, Bryce Callahan, a guy that, you know, people mm-hmm. don't think much about because he's not one of your, quote, starting uh, secondary guys. But for the most part, he is because they usually use uh, five guys in the secondary. Um, three passes defended, a sack. He had a huge play early in the game when he knocked the ball away from Curse, which stopped the first down. This guy's playing really, really well, isn't he, John? He is. And, and you know, it's an under underappreciated position, Fred, like you said. You know, you're the third corner, so you're not really – the assumption is, well, therefore, it's like you're a number three starter or something on the sure. rotation. Well, you must not be as good as number one. You're no less important because the game you you pitch counts just as much as the John Lester game or the, you know, whoever game. Um, you know, 20 years ago, I remember, it was, I remember Bobby Slowick, the coordinator, back when Dave Wanstead was yeah. the coordinator. And, and there – which draft it was um, – and I remember talking to him something like, "Wow, you really, you know, you're not really, you're strong at corner." I forget who they even had at that point, but he said, "No, no, you know, unless you have three, you know, you think of it as a number one and number two. If unless you have a number three, because that's where the league has gone, obviously, um, you know, the guy who couldn't cover Wes Welker in the slot was <laughs> right. How much different? You know, how many teams struggled because they didn't have somebody that could match up with that slot guy." And to your point, Bryce Callahan, that's about found money. I mean, you know, an undrafted free agent. Um, back in the old days, where would he have gone? He probably would have gone to wherever his high school was or something. Sure. Anyway, but yeah, so I think he is both playing well and a critical position. The only thing, again, it, with the big picture with the Bears, how are you going to do when you play the tall dogs, when you play Tom Brady, when you play uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, and upcoming is, are going to be the... Uh, you know, Stafford and, and uh, Kirk uh, you know, Cousins and right. so forth. Is he going to be able to do it against really good quarterbacks? So that's the question. But, yeah, he played well. And all he can do is play the guy in front of you, and he sure. certainly acquitted himself well there. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, the other thing, you know, you look at it, too, and no one, you know, they, they lose to the Patriots, I, and it's one little thing. I was so, you hate to be happy for injuries, Thank goodness Tony Michelle got hurt because he was beating the hell out of him. He was beating the hell out of the Bears offense early, or defense early in the game. After he got hurt, they had to change things a little bit, and I think that helped keep the Bears in that game because I don't, there was no way they were going to stop the Patriots otherwise. No, and it's, it's, you know, there's an interesting uh, case study with, with the NFL. For all the focus on passing, I think New England was top five in rushing. Yeah. And I think usually they are, and I think that's – before we give up on running backs as a devalued position, um, you know, like a lot of things. <laughs> like they're like diets. If you follow them, they all work. <laughs> well, you can, you can win. The, you can win the ball running. You can win running the football if you're really good at it. Then teams just haven't committed to it, and maybe it's because they're not getting the offensive linemen coming out of spread systems in college. Whatever. But if you can run the football, you will win in the NFL. I mean, Pittsburgh. For all the Roethlisberger stuff over the years, let's face it, they're a team that has often run the ball at more running plays than passing. And uh, they're you know, a perennial winning team. So I think New England, excuse me, New England has quietly done that. And you wonder what that, what we go over to the Bears, what form is that going to take? Is it going to be Jordan Howard? I don't think so, not long term. But unless you can, I mean, let's face it, in Kansas City, Maggie had uh, Kareem Hunt. A third, you know, led the league in rushing in a fifty, you know, a fifty-nine or almost sixty percent passing offense. 
So if you do it well, you can win and win win because of it, not just with it. Visiting with our uh, longtime uh, friend of the program, John Mullen, over at Good Old NBC uh, Sports uh, Chicago. While we're talking about running in the, the line, uh, we want to find out what will likely happen with the loss of uh, Kyle Long. But a, a bigger philosophical question on the same thing, John Mullen, with the NFL now a you know, pass-happy league, for the many reasons that we all know, but as you were talking about the running game, is the offensive line, I guess this is my sort of off-the-cuff question or thought, thought's a better uh, thing, is the offensive line, I remember our, our old buddy Bill Jouse, you know, so many years ago, the famous oh, yeah. writer, and he played offensive line back in his day at Northwestern, who has the big game today. And he was, and this is back in the day, you know, when Doug Buffon would say, run the ball, stop the run, pressure the quarterback, run, run, run. And Bill mm-hmm. Jouse, you got to build it in the front five. Is the front five, I guess, is just my uh, thoughts, and what would you think? Is the front five less important now or more important or the same as it's always been? There's no right or wrong answer. What do you think, you know? It's the same as always been. If you have a good one, let's face it, everything runs to the quarterback, so that's your first priority. But protecting him um, and and whatever running back, if my big guys knock your big guys backwards, Huh. Guys, most weeks I'm going to win most yeah. of the time, uh-huh. and, and and let's apply it to the Bears. You know, upcom- what's coming up now is you, you, you take Kyle Long out, even at three quarter speed is probably better than Eric Cush. So they, yeah. I think they take a little bit of a hit, but in, in run blocking, I won't say it's easier, but it's pass blocking is more difficult to, to teach or to become really really good at. So going against Buffalo's front seven, that defense. I would argue maybe you know, maybe they've already thought of this. Maybe this will be a, a run heavy game because you've got a rookie James Daniels at left guard, and you've got Eric Cush, who's really not a. I mean, he's a guy. He's a journeyman. That's your right guard. This is not a a, a, a dominant pass blocking team. I, I'm not sure this is what they do well. In, you know, talking, you know, coaches put players in positions, you know, best position to succeed. Well. Yeah. If you're going to ask, you know, the, the quarterback, you know, the, the, the offensive lineman to, to protect 40 times a game against Buffalo, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. I would really look for them to kind of run, uh, run hard, and then whether they stay with it. And we've seen coordinators over the years who didn't do that. Um, I think that that may be a key because they have to help the offensive line out because they're going to be better at run blocking than pass blocking at this point. You know, John, you've been around the game for a long time. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about whose decision is it to not have Khalil Mack and Allen Robinson play. Is it the player? Is it the GM? Is it the coach? Is it the training staff? Uh, what is it usually, in your opinion, and what do you think it is now? Well, it's it kind of collaborative, and, I, and I'll give them a little bit of a pass, a little bit. With Khalil Mack, because this, as Vic Banjo said, you know we don't really know him that well. He's never missed a game. If he comes to us and says, "Guys, I can go," he can, let's okay, let's try. And then you find out he really can't as well as you should. Um, although I think the the strategic mistake in that game wasn't so much playing him as how they used him schematically. You're talking about putting guys in positions to succeed. This is a pass rusher. Now, on a bad ankle, you're going to have him drop back in coverage more than he rushes. So, to me, you're utilizing him in a position which it's not his best to begin with, and then he was impaired. So, I think the decision to play him 
is one thing, but how they schemed against Brady was kind of odd, knowing that you have an impaired player. Um, yeah, but it, it's typically collaborative. I mean, obviously with concussion protocol, there are more tests. But a guy like Khalil Mack, you've been in the league, you've never missed a game. If he comes to me and says, Coach, I can go. You, gotta, you kind of believe him. I don't think they will this week, <laughs> that, having seen what happened. Final couple minutes with John Mullen. We always appreciate his personal time with Murph and Fred. Uh, wide receiver, we had a Twitter poll question last week. Remember, Fred, it was how many uh, targets will uh, Kevin White have? Yeah. And this was prior to you know, last week's game on our Saturday show. And uh, we had zero, one, the choice is two or three plus. <laughs> and uh, I voted zero. I lost. Fred was three plus. I believe it was two, but a third one was called back on a flag. But where is Kevin White? You would think with uh, Alan Robinson, good on number 12 out, this would be his time. Mm-hmm. And they still didn't seem to target him much, but they got other guys to throw to and spread it around, I understand. What are your thoughts in general on Kevin Kevin White with Allen uh, uh, Robinson out. Well, it's, it has been very surprising that he hasn't had a bigger role, and for, for reasons to go back to be, even before this before the season, he was out in California working out with uh, uh, Trubisky, and so there should have been a comfort level during camp. And I'm trying to think of it was one of the preseason or two of the preseason games. I was as stunned or, or wow by what he did once he got the ball in his hands. I mean, he was really uh, evasive, elusive, um, and I haven't seen that. So knowing that he has a very good comfort level, I mean, I've seen the byplay between them. It's good. He has a good relationship with his quarterback. So why isn't his quarterback looking for him or to him? Hmm. And the other conclusion is probably, son, you're just not open. And whether or not his, his route running is, is what it needs to be. I mean, he's, a, he's got great straight line speed. But I think even as you've seen with the you know, other receivers, that does only counts for so much because in the NFL you're not going to outrun too many guys. So I, the simple answer is yeah. he is just not getting enough separation on his routes, uh, or his mm. quarterback wouldn't be looking for him. And you know that GM is probably wishing he would <laughs> make him look good with that oh, draft yeah. choice. But uh-huh. um, I think you know now they're going to look well. They're going to look good. Whether or not they bring him back next year, mm. at least they won't have already picked up the fifth year option, which would be god awful expensive. Yeah. But um, you know he's like Jordan Howard. Is he does does he seem to fit what they're doing? Hard to say at this point. John, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mitchell Trubisky, and obviously uh, I'm not sure how much. The uh, well, he's throwing the ball away because the guys are not running the right routes or things like that mm-hmm. on some of the throwaways that Nagy was trying to explain the other day. But how much of not going to a Kevin White is him not getting open, and, and also uh, Trubisky not being able to find the second, the third, or the fourth option? Yeah, I think a number of things there, Fred. I mean, you, you, we've all seen kind of a you know a developmental curve, and you know, early in the season, he looked every bit a rookie. You know, he yeah. was looking for the rush before he was looking for his receivers, and I think he's gotten better at that. Um, I, hard to say because, you know, the odd part of it, we're thinking you, you can almost remember the really bad throws. Wow, what was he throwing that right. ball to? Right. And then, again, I think Nagy gives him a little bit of cover with, you know, that we do want him to throw the ball away, and okay, that's fine. And then it's just, just about when you think ah, his accuracy is really down, you look up and it's seventy. He's one of the four guys at seventy percent or better. Yeah. So I, 
he's completing maybe maybe too many checkdowns or you know the high percentage. But that's West Coast offense, so I'm not going to fault somebody for that. Sure. Um, so you know they're still again. I hate to give them the work in progress thing because, but they are. And I think Trubisky is maturing in the offense. You know, I'll give you one perspective, guys. Remember when Eric Kramer came here and it was he'd been he'd beaten Dallas in the playoffs, and and then he came here and early in the I want to say the '94 season he struggled. He remember he lost his job to Steve Walsh, and I remember talking to Eric and saying because his worst games were against the Packers, uh, the Vikings, and the Lions. And I said, well, Eric, what's the deal? He said, I said, I can. I'm surprised because you know those teams. You know what what their defenses look like. You know where their guys are going to be more or less. And he said, John, the, the problem is, I don't know where our guys are. Meaning he was still learning an offense. Sure. Yeah. He knew the defense better than he knew his oh. own offense. And I think in some respects that might apply to Trubisky. He is still learning how deep because he you know, didn't have Allen Robinson for much of training camp, for example. So how. Is the 18 yard out? Is it running exactly? You know, how fast is he? How deep is he? All those things. While you're under a pass rush, um, they matter. So, you know, I think what we're looking for is steady improvement, and I think we're kind of seeing that with Trubisky. I think the uh, I wasn't so sure what they have. I think now he is definitely moving into the you know the BB plus category with an arrow pointing up. I'm not sure he's at Pat Mahomes level, but that's another discussion. John, you're the best. I have a soundbite from years ago here. Uh, we call him a drop a drop in. No, this is Brandon Marshall, and uh, right about now, this is when he says, uh, "How long is this segment right now? <laughs> what is the next commercial?" <laughs> John, we always appreciate your time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this. I just awarded before you came on the under the radar uh, game ball. Uh, last Sunday to, believe it or not, left guard uh, James Daniels. And here's why. After watching, because it was a thing of beauty, the 70-yard Cohen uh, uh, screen pass to put the Bears up 7 to nothing with five minutes to go in the first quarter. I watched, I noticed something. uh, A couple of linemen, Daniels and I believe a white here, uh, they broke out to be, you know, lead blockers, which of course you can't be a lead blocker for Cohen. He's right past you. But here's what was interesting. Maybe you notice this or next time you, you pull that to play up. To use a baseball analogy, you're the runner on first. There's a ground ball to the first baseman with nobody out. You run towards second, and in the old days you try to break up two. You see the shortstop's eyes get big and his glove over here. You'd veer over a little, remember? As the runner from first to second, maybe the ball mm-hmm. will hit me in the back. Legal play, because you would then, you know... Well, the touch pass was thrown. That little 10-foot lob, uh, almost like a free throw uh, from Trubisky. And Cohen turning, turns around, the ball's coming to him. And right there, only two, it was only a two-yard pass and a 68-yard run after a catch. Yep. The ball almost hit James Daniels in the helmet. He saw, no, really, serious. He saw Cohen's eyes get real big and his hands going up. And Daniels, he veers out of the way, and the ball, instead of hitting his helmet for incomplete pass, lands in Cohen and whoosh, 68 yards. Now that showed me something. The guy was alert. And he, he didn't have eyes in his back of his head. He saw that coming. That's pretty good for a young kid. Yeah, I agree. And I, I was really impressed. I know so many things. I really looked into him coming out of college. You know, he was a center, which is the guy who's probably the most, has the most 
mental challenges and get he's the goods. I think he will be really good, and I think you're exactly right. He's got a savvy, a, a sense of the game uh-huh. uh, that, the, that the good ones have. Um, although it's funny, thinking <laughs> back to that play, yeah. and, you know, I know that Daniels and, and Whitehair kind of leading out there. Everybody turns and looks upfield, and, and it's got to be an offensive lineman's fantasy come true. The only guy between my runner and the, and the end zone are yeah. def- defensive backs. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> so it was fun to watch, and I think those guys had fun in the process. But you're right, there's little things within huh. the game that make it. Uh, those are, those are what turn why certain guys are special and yeah. certain guys aren't. So yeah. I think that, that there's something to set for that. Is he, what is he, 20 years old? Uh, he's not 21. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Fred and I weren't sure. We, and if the ball had hit him in the helmet, obviously it's an incomplete pass. Would that have been even? He was only two yards past the line of scrimmage, so he was not ineligible. But would that have been a flag for if if the pass hits a lineman before it hits anybody else? Is we? I don't even um, know. That's a no. Th- I don't think so. Well, I mean, obviously the the, the, judge, the judgment is: was there a receiver in the area? Yeah. I mean, I think ah. what we'd be really talking about was Kent Trubisky, miss, you know, the three hundred and ten pound guy. <laughs> you can't you can't miss him. Uh, I mean, I know Tariq Small. You know, Tariq's hiding behind a yard a yard line, but. Uh, Come on, yeah, I think that was it was fun to watch that because I could get a lot of things going on within that play. Uh, check out his work, NBC Sports Chicago. Always uh, nice enough to uh, visit Murph and Fred once a year with his uh, personal. Now get out on the bicycle and get outside. It's a beautiful day. It's already been out. I've God. already been out for twenty miles. God yeah. love you. There's our guy. Thanks a million, John. Right, Thanks, John. See, See you, you later. Thank you, John. I know we're up against the clock, Eric. We're running late. Murph and Fred, all right, we're guest-free. If you want to jump at any of our earlier topics, 312-332-3776. Have a lot to cover. We have Bulls Talk soon with Sam Smith. Vote now at ESPN 1000. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Fifty-yard line, ninety minutes down, ninety minutes to go. Murph and Fred every Saturday, nine till noon. Well, <clears throat> last Saturday uh, evening. Oh, by the way, Kevin White had three, three targets. Three targets. He might have had yeah. four. I think one might have been negated it, because a flag a penalty. Was, because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting talk with John Mullen on that. Thanks, Fred. So last Saturday, uh, about 8 uh, p.m., Dana and lovely Dana and I went to see Elton John at the United Center. Fred, I've always liked Elton John, you know. Uh-huh. I've never... I haven't done anything to make you not like him. <laughs> I've never disliked him. I've never been a huge fan, you know. But let me tell you, that he put on a show, no opening act. show started at 8 o'clock, 8.02, you know, right on time. No uh, intermission. He went well over two and a half hours. He only played the hits. You'd think there's nothing left. Well, and then could, there's five, ten more hits. I was going to say he could have played another 15 or 20 hours uh, probably with just the hits. 24 songs, uh, 72 years old, two hours and about 40 minutes. And then, you know what happened? You had to get back in the parking lot. Last, last in, last out. Uh-huh. Lilo. Only the United Center. They penalize you for getting there on time and early and getting, you know. But what are you going to do? <clears throat> I guess nothing, right? Took oh, forever you, probably to get in out the of the old days, you could goose the guy yeah. and then they'd let you park. 
where you just entered, so yeah. you'd be the first one out. So do they still do that? I'm sure they do. Yeah. Really quickly, yesterday, yeah. uh, while you were watching the Bulls game, I had to just watch the highlights of the Bulls game because I went to my very, very first uh, gender reveal party. Uh, uh, my wife's goddaughter, uh, Megan, it used to be Megan Klein now, Megan uh-huh. uh, Wilcox, and Megan and Kenny found out that uh-huh. they're going to have a little baby boy. Nice. So that was very, very nice. We were outside, and uh, they had... Um, uh, Megan's uh, brother Ryan Klein jumped out of a jumped out of a box with a baby blow up thing on, and he looked pretty wild. But uh, cool. it was it was very very cool. About 30, 35 people outside last night and uh. Uh, finding that out. So very very nice. And then I went home and saw that the Bulls lost another close game. Saw my old just fr- another close game. Oh God! Saw my old friend Ronnie Colasimo. If anyone sees Ronnie today, say Murph says hello. Uh, let's uh, take a look at the Bulls, but we'll get into them more in depth. Oh, yeah, with Sam Smith. Sam Smith in about 25 minutes. But, uh, you know, another entertaining, exciting uh, game for the Bulls. They lost again. I understand that fully. But uh, the, the team right I now... I don't was- understand people that are ex- that are upset or expecting them to play better. No, when, the, when, you the, know... The four, four of their, what would you say, seven best, six yeah. best players are out. Sure. I don't understand. When, when no uh, Markkanen and Dunn and uh, Portis... Valentine. And Valentine are all out. Yeah. I don't understand quite what Bulls fans are expecting. Uh, and Bulls uh, beat writers, I expect, mm-hmm. I, I'm even more surprised by because you would think they would understand this. How but. about uh, Joe Colley? Joe, yeah, that's who I was Joe is all over Jim for. Boylan, yeah. the uh, defensive uh, schemist. Listen, first of all, it's the NBA. A majority of players <laughs> don't play much defense. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, they're trying. I, I, I saw a play a game or two ago where actually uh, Jabari Parker played defense on one play. I one saw play. That. Yeah. <laughs> once. I did see that. I tweeted it out immediately and then dropped my phone in in shock and awe. He had a brain cramp and he yeah. played defense one yeah. play, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, last chance vote right now on this topic at ESPN 1000. If healthy, that would be the four guys Fred just mentioned. If healthy, the two and the seven uh, bowls, the two wins, seven losses, their record if healthy would be A, they'd be two and seven still, three and six, four and five, or five and four. Last night's game, back and forth, they're up 15, down 15, goes down to the wire. Uh, the little lack of defense, as we were talking about at the end. Uh, so the Bulls all of a sudden with the ball in their hand with a chance to tie the game or a three-pointer would uh, win the game. Uh, EO11, let's hear that final flurry last night. Orbeen backs his dribble out, circles to his right, turns the corner, fires on the rim, no. Rebound, tapped out, Holiday, no. Rebound, run down. Back to Blakeney, taken away. Taken away, game over. Highlights, NBC Sports Chicago. Okay, so these guys are the bench. And they're playing, they're the, the regulars now, yep. right? Yep. And Blakely, he's going to push playing time, they're saying, for a Valentine when uh, he comes back. Some of the numbers last night are pretty interesting, considering uh, uh, Blakeney, 22 points. Levine, of course, with his uh, 20 points. Payne, he had eight assists. I mean, he's dishing the ball off. Uh, they've been, here's a key. They've been trying, and uh, oh, they're the try hard guys. I understand that. Okay. Four of their regulars aren't playing. 
if you count Valentine. But Fred, since that horrible, horrible, embarrassing loss to Golden State, and they deserved every bit of criticism that they got. Yep. Monday night, 149 to 124. The, the score wasn't as close as the uh, final score indicated, if you know what I mean. But then, uh, the Wednesday loss. Now, Denver, they lose, uh, that was 108 to 107 overtime. They lose last night to Indiana uh, by two points. I don't know if they just woke themselves up, if someone in the locker room says, you know, hey, we're embarrassing ourselves. If it was uh, Coach Hoiberg got in there and got in their face, doesn't matter. Something changed. But you know what's interesting, Fred? These two teams they just lost to. These are not bad teams. No. The two games they just lost, let's see here. They lost last night to Indianapolis, who now, with the win, is 6-3. and three. Yep. And uh, they lost by two points. Wednesday night, they lost to Denver in overtime by one point. Their record right now seven and 7-1. Yeah. That's not bad. No, not bad at all. I mean, that's, those aren't bad teams. No. And uh, you look at it, they had a couple problems last night. They mm-hmm. only got they only had nine free throws, yeah. which means you're not driving to the basket all that much. Zach Levine yesterday, four for four from the line after the game. Uh, Will Purdue mentioned the last three games, the last three games, Zach Levine has had four free throws, four free throws, four free throws. And he did he's say had 12 free throws in his last three games. Excuse me, he did preface, he said, now we don't know if he's hurt or not. Yeah. Which is a throwaway line, but, you know, yeah. well, you I mean, should say it anyway. You drive, you drive to the basket, you should be able to do a little bit better than that. And then you look at it, I mean, they did hit 13 of 31 from three. They shot 42% from three. Uh, they did not play all that badly last night. They just didn't get to the free throw line. Uh, turnovers, 14 to 11. Mm-hmm. So they did turn the ball over more than Indiana. Uh, that's that's bound to happen. So, you know, I, you know when, when your bench... When your bench is Felicio, Blakeney, Hutchison, Archie Diacono, and Robin Lopez, who is who probably shouldn't even be playing right now. He actually now. had a good little flurry for yeah. a couple minutes, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I mean... But the bench know. is starting, and the new bench is guys that wouldn't even be active, some of them, or, you know, they'd be so far down the bench, they wouldn't... They're in the rotation now, right. are guys that... You know, we're extra men. Let's bring in uh, EO11. Let's see what the fans say. I'm interested in this one. If healthy, meaning the four names uh, that we all know are out, the Bulls' record would not be two and seven. So what would the, what would the record be? And you can want to still be two and seven, yeah. three and six, four and five, or it'd be five and four. I don't even have a guess here, Fred. You want to go? I, I think they're going to say four and five, and that's what I would say. No way. I'm going to say between 2 and 7 and 3 and 6 is 50%. Okay. I'm not voting that way. I think they'd be 4 and 5. How could they not be? They lose two games to top team. Oh, did you see this note? Four of the five Bulls home games have been tied going into the final minute. That's pretty good. Well, that's, yeah, they're keeping read, it close. Let me read that again. This was off of the uh, off TV last night, uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Four of the last five Bulls home games, that would be all four of all five, have been tied going into the final minute. Let's bring in uh, uh, EO11. Uh, EO11. <laughs> Eric, uh, I don't know how you want to go this. Top to bottom, bottom up, whatever you want. I have no idea how they voted. We'll go bottom up. So if healthy, the two and seven Bulls would be with and the bottom with 19% is both five and four and three and six. 
Okay. In second place with 21% saying fans say the Bulls will still be 2-7. and seven. Okay. And then 41% with the majority saying the Bulls will be 4-5. and five There you go. Healthy. That's what you said, right, yep. Fred? They'd, get two, they'd have at least two more wins. Yeah. Well, Probably the last two games. <laughs> games they could have won uh, against Denver and Indiana. Murph and Fred got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Let's touch on some baseball when we return. We had a lot of baseball chatter in the first hour. We'll get back on some Cubs and Sox talk when we return. And then shortly, I'll be Sam Smith with his unique perspective inside the Bulls. So we're busy. Nine till noon, back in a flash. Vote on our Twitter poll questions right now at ESPN 1000. Busy day. Glad you're with Murph and Fred. Mike Murphy here, the Cub fan from good old Lions Township High School, LaGrange. Fred Hubner, the White Sox fan from good old Martin Easton, Cicero. I grew up in Cicero. There's not too much I believe in unless I see it. Yeah, I'm hoping to see some improvement from the White Sox. Again, later on tonight, the uh, the uh, Fall League, the Arizona Fall League uh, All-Star Game uh, tonight in Hitting uh, seventh in the lineup will be uh, Luis Robert from the White Sox. Um, so he is a guy that uh, got some speed, can hit. I think he's hitting like four something or three eighty or three ninety in the uh, Arizona Fall League. So that's a good thing. So uh, we'll get a chance to see him tonight. Well, we uh, touched on this a little bit a uh, couple uh, two hours ago. Fred, the uh, American League, and then we'll get to some Cubs talk with Sam Smith right around the corner. Bulls. Fred, the American League Central, as, uh, you know, Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland for the last, what, three, four years. And then, uh, you know, the White Sox and now the Tigers and Kansas City and Minnesota, all sort of, uh, you know, two, three, four, five recently. The big story that uh, appears to have uh, credit to it is that the Cleveland Indians said we're making trades. Uh, the trade talk on the table. Come talk to us. We only have two guys untouchable. Uh, they're uh, all-star shortstop. Uh, uh, Francisco, Francisco Lindor. Lindor. Yeah. Thank you, Fred. And uh, their MVP candidate, Jose Ramirez. They're going to lose free agents. That American League Central might be a little more up for grabs. Uh, do you think the White Sox uh, find that of interest in the front office? Well, I don't think you go and change your plan just because there's a possibility. I mean, if you're going to, you're doing the quote rebuild, uh-huh. I don't think you change uh, your plan of what you're going to do. But if a guy like, guy, there's a guy that becomes available now, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily changing your plan because if you can go on out and get a guy like Carrasco or Kluber um, and move some of your young guys for uh, Corey Kluber, one of the top four or five pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, that would be well worthwhile, I think. I don't think you're changing your scheme saying, well, you know what? We can win next year. I, you know, you can think that way, and maybe you think it's a little bit easier to win, but I don't know that you're going to necessarily make moves or sign players to mm-hmm. go for it, um, especially not players that have one year left. Kluber, from what I understand, has next year and two years after that. So he'd be a wonderful guy to have on anybody anybody's team. So you'd have to make quite an offer, I would think, to get a guy like him. Well, the White Sox have uh, many, many, many more prospects, and they're just prospects. You know, then you become a suspect. I understand that. But all Theo ever had was his a four first-round 
picks, pretty much. We all know who those were. He didn't have any inventory, still doesn't. That's one of the Cubs' big problems right now. Theo has zero farm system. Uh, uh, the waves and windows, remember? Oh, we're going to have waves. Well, they never have had in seven years any waves. And the window, you know, uh, it might be closing right now. But the White Sox do seem to have waves. So there might be trade. There, there might be. There are guys down there that certainly have value on the open market, and you would not be stripping the future because, what, six, seven, eight different reports say of the top 100. Yeah, and while I'm looking here to break down by position of uh, the White Sox and the way their organization's been built and things like that, and there's a report by Jim Callis, and uh, it's interesting because a lot of their guys where, you know, they got like 15 pitchers, uh, a bunch of right-handed pitchers, a couple of left-handed pitchers. So they have guys they can move. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting the next couple of years. The White Sox organizations have to decide which of these youngsters are going to come up and be with the team. Uh And you develop your minor league system so that you can... Uh, you know, fill up your team sure. and also use them to move them uh, in order to get players to help you win right, you know, maybe a little bit sooner. So, if you've got six, seven, eight guys, you know, move a couple. Yeah. What the yeah. heck? You yeah. know, you got to still... figure out strategically. Don't get me wrong, yeah. you know. I'm still concerned about Moncada. There's possibilities maybe he changes positions, maybe he goes to third or something else. And uh, then you bring up, uh, and obviously it's too early to bring up the kid they drafted last year, but he has practiced and most of his uh, playing time has been at second base. So there's always that possibility too. And uh, taking a look at the uh, Cubs that mentioned a couple hours ago, very curious, like to find out what the real deal is. Uh, Drew Smiley, who? Uh, Theo signed him a year ago on a two-year deal coming off TJ, left-handed starting pitcher. You know, pretty good guy, guy that could go, uh, you know, 12-12, and 14-14, be a fifth starter. Whoosh, gone yesterday, uh, given away uh, to the Texas Rangers uh, to maybe get the $7 million off the books. Well, you don't need him now, Murph. They just signed Cole Hamels. Well, you still don't have a fifth starter unless you think, unless you think that that's going to be Tyler. <laughs> oh, no, Chatwood. You Darvish? Yeah, good luck that he's going to be ready April or May. That means Mike Montgomery uh, back in, which then one less lefty in the bullpen. Uh, now a free agent, Justin Wilson, though he's not the end of the world, the be-all, end-all, but he was looking better. So I don't know, I'm very, dis- very curious to find out why Drew Smiley was jettisoned. If it was just for money, that's not good. I think that's what it was. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's just for, just because they want, how else are they going to send Bryce Harper? Well, you got to bring Bryce Harper in. Uh, uh, Rosenthal, uh, Ken Rosenthal said they had a report earlier this week that he had heard, who knows, you know, that the that Ricketts was not spending money and that they were going to worry about uh, keeping the payroll, the budget, the luxury tax. You can lose a draft pick if you spend too much. What's right. that? Let's. This is breaking sports yes. news from ESPN One Thousand. Ostrowski, what's the news? You're out of coffee? We need a break here? What One, the- I like that liner I just found. That's fun. I think I'm going to play that a lot more. Um, no, yeah. Jesse Rogers, I know it's his offseason. The little guy. Jesse doesn't rest. He just called me. He said he's got a scoop for us that he wants to break about the Cubs and everything going on in the offseason. Yes. He's going to be on at 1130. Jesse is like rust. Rust never sleeps. And neither does Jesse. Thanks, Eric. EO11. Murph and Fred back in a flash. Say, ah. Oh. Sam Smith, 
I love talking with Sam Smith, Fred. He's the, the Bulls guy next. Then Jesse, busy day, Murph and Fred, 9 till noon. It's ESPN 1000. Let's hear that sounder again. You got that sounder? This is breaking sports news from ESPN 1000. But you got to wait a half hour. is your home for Chicago sports. This is WMVP AM Chicago. ESPN 1000 and ESPN app. Four and three and two and one. I uh, hope you're having a great Saturday. Sun is shining downtown, down here at State and Lake. Beautiful. What would you call it earlier? It's like a beautiful fall crisp it day. Is. It is. Yeah, it's ready for football. It's a some big football going on in town, actually. Oh, Notre really? Dame and Notre Dame and uh, Northwestern up in Evanston later on this evening. Uh, night game down along the lakefront, so it uh, should be interesting. Uh, should be a full house at uh, at uh, Welsh Ryan. That'll be uh, six. Not Welsh Ryan. Uh, That's the new basketball. Yeah, six fifteen uh, here on ESPN one thousand. I get the uh, Notre Dame call right here. Latest point spread I saw, Notre Dame nine and a half point favorite. Notre Dame's eight, no. Uh, Northwestern five and three. Should be a great, great day. Great weather, great game. Hopefully the rain will hold off. All right, we've covered the Bears. We've talked Cubs and Sox. We had a little bit of Bulls talk earlier, but... What do we know? We're yeah, just that was fans. just you and me. We don't know what nah, the hell we're talking let's bring about. Bringing someone that knows what he's talking about. I just wish we had a guy right now that's covered the Bulls, followed the NBA here in town. Who would know more than Sam Smith? Sam, is that you? Good morning. Hey guys, I thought you were calling me for Bears talk. <laughs> yes, no, no, we could. We always have time for whatever Sam Smith wants to cover. Check him out, of course, at Bulls.com. See him on TV right there, press row. Sam, thanks for coming on. You're always kind enough once or twice a year to join Murph and Fred with your personal time. Being Sports Talk Radio, Sam, we had a, a Twitter poll in action here uh, all morning, and I'll let you uh, hear what the fans voted. The question was, uh, if all four guys were healthy, if the Bulls were healthy, full roster, the 2-7 and seven record would be, and the choices were, well, you know, they'd still be 2-7, and seven, Murph. No, they'd be 3-6, and 4-5, and five, or you could vote they'd be 5-4. and four. The fans, Fred, what the fans voted? Uh, fans voted 4-5. and five. The fans said there'd be the two more part, victories, yeah. they'd be 4-5. and five. That's just sports talk, fun talk. But uh, in general, what would you think of those uh, votes? Well, I don't know. If, if it were me, I'd probably be voting 0-9 because then you wouldn't have uh, Antonio Blakeney, Ryan Archidiacono, <laughs> and Cristiano Falacio and Chandler Hutchinson on the floor. And, Nicely and boy, done. you would be missing that, right? <laughs> Nicely done. You spun it as you always do. I love it. I love it. It's, all, it's only Sam Smith can do. Sam, uh, so the guys on the bench are getting are now the starters. The guys at the end of the bench are the rotation guys. But the last two nights, you know, okay, they lost the game. Come on, Murph, Sam, Fred, they lost. I understand that. Last night they lost to Indy, who's now six and three. A two point loss could have gone either way at the buzzer. And Wednesday night, the facts are the facts. Denver's now seven and one. That was a one point overtime loss. Uh, so you never use injuries as an excuse. I understand that, Sam. So it's sort of, sort of fun to talk both ways, you know, how they would be with or without, right? 
Oh, it's a, it's a really extraordinary situation. When we showed up for a media day this year, um, the one thing John Paxson emphasized, uh, sadly ironic, was that, well, look, we don't know exactly what we've got. You know, we've got guys coming back who hadn't played, rookie, two rookies. But what we do know is we've got health. <laughs> so, yeah. And so there's no team in the league now who has more major players injured. So it always sounds like an excuse. I understand that. Um, but, but it's extraordinary in the sense of you have five players in the regular rotation now who would have either would have been in the G League this year or were in the G League last year. Wow. Um, and that's it's like... You know, 60% of the guys you're throwing out there, and then the two other guys you're throwing out there didn't play full seasons last year because of ACL, ACL recoveries, Parker and, uh, and uh, Levine. So, and, and you know, that said, I accept uh, whatever your record is, you know, the old Parcells or whatever sure. you are, what sure. your record is. And, that, and that's fair. That's the way it is. They're, you know, 2-7, and seven, they're 2-7. and seven. But, yeah. you know, they did lose three games at the buzzer. Yeah. Right. So... You know they. Uh, you know they were. It was their fault. They gave an offensive rebound. Um, they let a, uh, in Detroit a week or two, a couple of weeks ago. They let a, a, a layup guy. Uh, you know a guy. My, in fact, a guy my same name because a lot of people call me Ish. You know, Ish Smith uh, makes a layup at the, at, the, at the buzzer, and then you know, and then last night they get three shots at it. Yeah. Uh, Carter, who has been great, you know, the rookie. Um, gets two offensive rebounds in the middle of like four guys, hmm. and um, uh, you know they get. And you know, I don't know if the guy was tripped at the end. It, it could have been. Uh, I'm not sure he makes the shot anyway. It's a tough shot. Of course, he just, he made a bunch of threes. Yeah, um, Blake and he. So, look, yeah, I, I think I think they've done. You know, competitively. Uh, obviously, the Golden State game was was bad, but Golden State's done that to a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. And you know they they just have to they just have to wait to get these guys back. And I know the fan reaction is going to be well, you know, you're two and seven, you're out of it, you know. Now you want to play for a lottery pick, and you can't do that. Yeah, there's there's no way you can't. And, you know, speaking of that Golden State game, we we don't want to talk much about it. Uh, but when when you just kind of step aside and let a guy set a record for threes. I mean, you've been around the league for a long time. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, you know, I, I know that one of the guys in our station, Cap, was saying, well, someone's got to put put somebody on a floor and says you don't do that on our floor. Do those things even happen in the NBA anymore? No, actually, uh, I, I was on the one of these one of Cap's many things that he does. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know I know he's not sleeping anymore because he does an overnight show. Did you get a free? Um, did you get a free pizza? Well, he threatened. He threatened to send me one, but he did. I'm still waiting for the one from four years ago. There you go. But um, uh, yeah, he told me. You know, Cap, the physical uh, bouncer, you know, who likes to take a lot of guys out, was telling you know, was telling me that they should have been knocking people on the floor. Yeah. Now I, I don't know if you've been watching much NBA. I haven't seen many Golden State get, uh, guys being knocked on the floor in the last couple of years. They do this to a lot of teams. Now I didn't think it was. The only thing I didn't like was sort of the, you know, unwritten stupid baseball rule that, you know, the guy was out there, you know, and they were sort of going for the record. Right. You know, when you see that crazy stuff in baseball where some guy does something and everybody runs out of the dugout and says, why'd you do that? Um, so, you know, they probably shouldn't have been in the third quarter trying to set him up for the record and that sort of stuff. And But, 
you know, you know what the, the the guy the guy was great, and he he was their third third best player or fourth, probably third. But you know the Bulls were guarding the best players, <laughs> so, so the third guy was open. Yeah, you know the third guy on the Bulls is open all the time. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you'd be That's open. True. Yeah. So let Sam take a shot. Visiting with Sam Smith. Sam, uh, how will these uh, minutes that guys that weren't going to get the minutes, and we, uh, you know, we're listing right there who they are, uh, and especially guys like Blakeney and, uh, well, Felicio now and Hutchison right down the line, they uh, won't have the same minutes when the four guys come back, uh, obviously. So, you know, for the average fan out there, how important, how much do these minutes, uh, key minutes, I might add, end of the game minutes, help some of these young guys uh, early in their careers? I understand that, you know, that notion. And in theory, you know, it's perhaps development of some of these players. But And, and if somebody breaks through and becomes a good bench player, like, you know, Blakeney could be like a, you know, a Lou Williams type, a guy who come off the bench. Lou Williams is really good. You know, and these guys were, real, you know, Eric Gordon was a higher draft pick, uh, you know, uh, something like that. He could be a spark plug you sort of find that you didn't expect to. Well, that's good. But still, you know, your team is all the other guys, and, and those are the guys who who you've got to give the minutes to and have to get better. And, look, most everybody, including me, didn't pick them to make the playoffs this year, so we were all expecting another pick to come in. And, you know, free agency, they're going to be in free agency this summer. They have plenty of money. They're committed to that. And uh, I'm not sure if you check, but, you know, um, Jimmy Butler, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, and Nikola Mirotic are all free agents this summer. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows what the possibilities are? But the 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 guys who are out they are the key thing. They they have to find out. They still, what they found out, and really it's been great so far. This Carter is really good. Oh, this, kid, nice. this kid from Duke. He's nineteen, 19 years old. Yeah. It's extraordinary. You know, he came out. Great last night, and he got some bad fouls. And I, I'm not one generally complains about officials and stuff happens, and people always view it from the side of their team. But about the Bulls got a bad whistle mm-hmm. on it last night, you know. And Carter got a, a, a couple early, and then one right away in the third, and it took him out of the game. And he, I think he's got he had seven of the first ten points, and had a tip dunk and uh, making shots. He he. he so now, now you've got some real players. Levine is a legit player. He's come back from that injury with explosiveness and gets mm. to the rim. Um, you know, and so and marketing we saw last year looked like you know the goods. So that, that, if you got that's three guys that look like you know that have I'm not saying they all will be, but they have potential to be all star players. So now you know you got to get done back to see if he can. Be that and fit with those guys, and if he can't, you you got to then you got to go get a point guard who can. That's the most important position in yeah. the NBA now. But you got to give him a, ch- a chance. You got and you got to find that these three guys or four, whatever the case is, because you potentially have four, can play together and and can play off one another and move the ball and do the stuff Golden State does. You know, Curry and Curry and Thompson were there playing together on a twenty three win team, and so you have to have. Continuity. The Bulls have had zero for four years. This is the fourth consecutive different roster uh, starting the season. So you just have to get some of these players playing together, and and they have some possibilities with you know with free agency because of the money. So you know they should 
should have some more talent if if they could stay healthy. Visiting with one of our favorite guys, everybody's favorite guy, Sam Smith, uh, Bulls.com. A couple final uh, quickies here, Sam. Spring on your busy day. Let's go back to Wendell Carter Jr. a moment you alluded to. First-round draft pick, 19 years old, out of Duke. Last night's game... And, you know, I'm just an armchair guy. I've been watching the Bulls since, you know, day one, Jerry Sloan and all the guys. But, you know, I'm watching him, and for 19, he has awareness. He has a lot of savvy, at least to my eyes. And he had six assists last night, Fred. And uh, he had eight boards, 11 points. I'm not saying he's going to be a double-double guy or triple-double guy. I'm not saying that. But for his age inexperienced Sam Smith, those assists really, really caught my eye last night. He looks like a very smart, well-rounded guy for his early age. It, it really, I mean, we don't want to over, you, you don't like to overstate anything, no. for, as you could point out, a 2-7 and seven team. Right. But, <laughs> but, yeah, he does, and, and you're right, so he plays, he's savvy, he's very mature, uh, unusually so. I mean, you know, we need to remember that guys like Jordan, you know, came out of college after, you know, when he was 21, their third year. Scottie Pippen was like fifth year um, coming out of college. You know, when he was a freshman, he, I mean, he literally was the towel kid in the locker room yeah. for his freshman year. Yeah. So it's, and I know everybody comes out younger now, and so it's part of the game, and it's a lot of reasons things have changed. But, but that said, you know he's unusual in a lot of respects too because he's he's physically built. He's he's not a typical rookie. He weighs about two hundred and fifty fifty five pounds, and you know kids come in. So even these number these top picks you see Aiton with uh, the number one pick was really going to be good. You know with um, Phoenix got pushed around. You know Mo Bamba. Well he's this huge guy, but he's really skinny and gets thrown all over the place and. You know, NBA, you know, once you get in the pros, it's, it's against men, it's against veterans, and, and he holds his own. That, that's an impressive thing. And he started out against Giants. He played hmm. the first several games against Embiid and Drummond and, and, and uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, the best centers the game has and, and you know, has held his own and, and developed against these. So, you know, we, we had, you know, we had no idea. He was sort of the second guy at Duke, and, you know, you didn't know exactly what. And he's not, you know, he's not a tremendously explosive player, but yet he does things that you don't expect. Like, he went up in a rebound in the first quarter last night, and in one motion got the rebound and slammed it in. Yeah. I didn't think he could do that. And, you know, when you see guys doing that 10 games in, you go, wow, wow this is... This is good. You don't want to get too carried away, but, you know, you might really have something there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a guy which, which I, I think a lot of Duke, it's funny, remember when, when people first started drafting guys from Duke and said, well, the, they, they can't play very well right. in the NBA. Soft. Right, they're all soft. I think you see a guy like this, 19 years old, he comes in, and I think from the time he was drafted, it just he the way he's carried himself on and off the court, I mean, it's it's a pleasure to watch him play. I mean, he goes out there and he works hard. And like you said, the foul trouble yesterday hurt. But he seems like, he, you know, just making smart passes. He seems like the smartest guy on the floor as as a 19-year-old for the Bulls. And that's, that's, that's a rarity. Yeah, no, it is. Krzyzewski obviously has changed. I think you can check that Duke roster this year. Yeah. And uh, if you check their SATs, I, I think they're not not exactly going to be in triple figures. No, they're not. Well, you better, so, but you... that's so. But Krzyzewski realized what the landscape was, and, and he's gone along, too. So that, that yeah. maybe has changed a little bit. But, yeah, 
you know, his, his sense of the game comes so quickly, positioning, right, uh, right place to be. And you'll see him in, you know, you'll see him what looks like the wrong place where a guy scores, you know, his guy. But it's, but it's because with all these guys in the rotation, and they've got, they, they, they have some guys who don't defend. Levine is not one of them. Levine is, I know he's got a reputation, but he's, he's a pretty, he does a pretty good job, and he's trying, and, and he works at it. There are other guys who are not, and what defense requires, and, and what, what you see a lot is a guy who says, well, his guy scored on something, but it's that second rotation, and the Pacers were good at that. They moved the ball several times and got that you know, on the last play when Collison hit their shot. But there are several times you could see that during the game where, you know, where they came and they helped and the ball moved and the ball moved and then it moved again. And the Bulls are not good at that, but, again, it's also, the, it's also these sort of tryout positions for everybody and, 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 and to get them into a situation where they're going to rotate, not only on offense, which they don't do a lot, but on defense especially, where you're covering for a guy who's covering for a guy who's moved. <laughs> None of that. Yeah. And so it makes it look bad in some cases where it might look like, you know, somebody like Avene or Carter doesn't have their guy, but it's the other guy who was supposed to be there who just was standing around, you know, checking if the popcorn guy was selling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, my friend, here's the final of 50. You were at the game, of course, Sam, so you didn't have NBC Sports Chicago in your headphones. Here's the call from TV. The final 10 seconds, the flurry of, uh, of the Bulls attempting to pull that game into overtime or a three ball. Levine backs his dribble out, circles to his right, turns the corner, fires on the rim, no, rebound, tag out, Holiday, no, rebound, run down, back to Blakeney, taken away. Taken away, game over. And that's how games are lost, young teams. That was a flurry. Uh, Levine had a sort of tough shot from the corner. Holiday had been pretty hot. Uh, Blakeney, whether he got fouled or not. But, uh, you know, I don't want to say that's close because that's not what sports is. But it was an exciting attempt to pull it out. You know what it also was? It, it, it demonstrated, you know, I know Fred gets a lot of uh, criticism but it demonstrated, you know, commitment on the part of the players. I mean, they 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 out out fought for those yeah. shots. You know, Carter runs down the ball. You know, he was the first one in the corner to get that second rebound. Gets you know, yeah. uh, you know, he's a little smaller than some of these other guys. I mean, if, if there's a criticism or criti- you know, you can't criticize someone for whatever their size is. But you know, he's not the tallest center. He's more like a, you know, Elton Brand type, where he's long armed. You know, he's six nine, maybe I don't know. Six, he, he's listed as six ten. Is he six nine? He's not, you know, who knows? But he's long armed, so he. But but he fights and gets to balls, and, and there's a lot of positioning on these things too. And so you know, they really competed right down the end, and that's what you ask, you know, of your players. Sure. You, you know, they're, they're not as ta- they weren't as talented as the other team. They have not been favored to win one single game this season according to the wow. Vegas uh-huh. and we're now we're allowed to, we're allowed to look at that now in the NBA since the NBA is That's partners right. with MGM Grand yep. so uh, yes. and share their their uh, you know their data yeah. with them their analytics so um, you know they're 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 underdog and undermanned against every single team this is a Pacer team that had almost 50 wins last year with the same basically same starting lineup uh, coming back, and you know, uh, they they had they had a shot, and and, and I and I did think, you know, if it wasn't uh, Antonio Blakeney, 
who none of the three officials had ever heard of, sure. I think they would have called a foul because yeah. I thought he got kicked, you know, and sort of set off bound. And I think if it was somebody one of the officials had heard of, They've probably been shooting three at the end. Well, Sam, uh, I, I, and, and uh, the, the, uh, dovetail what you just said, TV had this stat. You probably heard it, saw it, or maybe you gave it to them. But in the Bulls' five home games, four of the five, they've been tied in the final minute. Now you mentioned, you know, I guess we should have realized they've been underdogs in all uh, seven games. Obviously, the five home games under it to be tied in the final minute, four or five. <laughs> that's pretty. In- that's pretty impressive. Well, like I said, you know, the part, impressive part is more that, you know, it's, it's with, with five of the eight guys in the rotation sure. who either would have been in the G League or, or, or were in the G League, you know, 10 months ago is, is uh, pretty unusual. So, look, but it sound, I know it sounds like an excuse to most, and I, I think the Bulls don't want to make excuses about it. And I think the, it's just a matter of saying, okay, look, give us a chance until we get Markinen and Dunn back out there. You know, with Levine, who's playing terrific, Carter, who's playing terrific. And another thing with Levine, though, other teams, you know, they figure it out. They Apparently, they have uh, tape and um, yeah. TV, uh, <laughs> and some of them have cable. And they all said, well, you know, Levine's the only one who can score out there. Uh, Let's put three guys on him. Yes. So now we can't get to the basket. You know, now guys are just swarming him all over. You know, and so, okay, other guys are getting some better looks. And, you got, and, and to their credit, Holiday's hit, you know, hit him. He made five threes the last couple of games. Yeah. Blake, and he's second in the league in three-point shooting now. He's shooting like 60% on threes. Okay, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. But, uh, you know, and okay, if they continue to do that, teams will drop, start to drop off Levine. But right now they're going, well, you know what? That's, that's the guy. Well, right. Let the other guy him. score, right? Let the other guy score well, to in, stop him. In fact, Stacey King, late in the game, uh, there was a play where Levine motioned to one of the other to come over here and set a screen. And Stacey had been saying throughout the game, and then they zeroed in on that play late, Sam. It is his. I don't. I don't like when Levine. Does. He should stay one on one. Uh, I don't want two guys on him. So uh, these are still things that uh, they're all young. Levine not as young. But let me uh, wrap up with this, Sam, real quick. I know we're we're running you late here. Do teams need a, a leader? Do the Bulls have one in waiting? Now, what's the word? Uh, the alpha dog. You know, we used to call him the leader. Do the Bulls have a leader in waiting? Do you need a, a, a leader, in your opinion? Uh, do they have one coming? Do they have one now? How do you view that whole thing? Well, it's sort of an overrated, you know, uh, concept and notion. You're a leader if you're the best player, you know, whether you talk or not. You, you know, and it's it's about production and. Levine is becoming that kind of player, and you could see. I mean, I think he was signaling at that point to screen because he was asking some of the players if they knew what a screen was. It wasn't so much to set him. I think it was a little thing he did. Sure. Um, yeah, he, he, he's setting himself up as that kind of thing. I mean, he, he's getting the ball at the end of the game. He's in position. And I thought the foul really hurt, hurt was unfair to him at the end. He took him out of the game. He, had, he, he You know, they're yeah. tubbling him and tripling him all game. And then he gets it going in the fourth quarter and scores like, you know, seven straight, nine straight points or something. And the Bulls took a seven-point lead. with Because that's really when games are won, not at the end there. I mean, it looks good at the end. Um, and they got up by seven, I think it was, with six minutes to go. And they call a cheap fifth foul on him, which was he was getting around a screen. 
Yeah, I mean, here's a guy people said didn't try to get around screens before, and so now you punish him for it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so he, and it was, it, it, he was, you know, he, it wasn't, it was a really weak thing. And that, but you take him out of the game now with six minutes to go. He came back and he couldn't ever get a rhythm and he missed his last four shots or something. But if he hadn't been able to stay and he said, well, you said it because the coach, okay, well, you should have kept him in. But that's six minutes to go, and, you know, guys are calling fouls on him every <laughs> So, I, you know, it's it's not something that every coach doesn't do. Every coach gets his guy with five minutes to go. They want to keep him for the last two or three minutes. So I understood, you know. And then Zach said the same thing, too. He said, I could have been out in the next 30 seconds, and what am I, you know, what's going on in the last minute? So, um, but that's, you know, that's a function of the way teams are identifying him. We're going to try to take that guy out of the game, which every sport does. You try to take your best player out, no matter what the case is. And, you know, until these other guys come back, you know, that's going to be the situation. Friend of the program, Sam Smith. Sam, uh, any, uh, I know your last book uh, was about a year ago. I'm sure it's still available. And tell us uh, where we can get that. Or do you have anything new oh. also uh, that you might yeah, be working some on? Stuff new, I have some stuff It'll be interesting coming, but it's not ready yet. But hard labor, you you yes. guys will love this book because yes. it's the sixties and the sixties and the seventies NBA. And uh, I yeah, I heard you a little bit before talking about the uh, draft uh, with yeah. Mullen, yeah. and uh, it's some amazing stuff from uh, that. You know, you know, Red Arback uh, tried to get Will Chamberlain uh, admitted to Harvard. Uh, so the MB, so he could pick him as a territorial pick. There you go. Uh, Love it. And that's some of the you know stuff that went on in the NBA back then. But it's a it's really a great story. Not because I wrote it, no, but no. It's, it's just a great story right. of the '60s and '70s the NBA. It's called Hard Labor, and if you know if, if you're interested, if you if you grew up in that era and you recognize, remember those names. Uh, sure. You know, there's some great stuff that went on, and uh, I really feel like it's the best history of that era. You know that. Uh, Certainly, that I've ever written. So. Sure, give us give us the title again. It's called Hard Labor, yes. and uh, Amazon's probably the best place because they're running all the bookstores out of business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. Uh, our producer Eric Ostrowski is waving his hands. We're late for thirty seconds. Who was your favorite NBA or college? Who was your first favorite basketball player? You were out in uh, New York, I believe. Uh, what, yeah, what, sadly what? enough, it was uh, Kenny Sears from Santa Clara, and I'm sure nobody ever remembers him, and Kenny does, he died recently, and he, I think he had forgotten most of his career after it was over, but that's what happens when you're a kid. You latch on to somebody, and my old Knicks were uh, constantly beaten by the greatest dynasty in the yes. history of sports. So we suffered a lot with Carl, Carl Braun and Richie Guerin and uh, guys like that. But, uh, um, you know, I'm sure you had your, your many obscure Bulls and, uh, and um, uh, Chicago Zephyrs over the years, Walt Bellamy in his prime. Yeah, Jimmy Washington, Erwin Mueller. Oh, there's a bunch in fact, of I just you mentioned. I just talked to Chet Walker yesterday. I uh, talked to Chet all the time, and uh, he, he's doing good. He's actually writing some stuff. He told me for uh, Ebony or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's got some project going on. But yeah, I talked to Chet about once uh, a couple of times a month. And uh, in fact, he called me. He said he, he said somebody told him. I know I'm running late for him. Right, right. He called me. He said. He said, somebody told me they put my picture in the basement there by the men's room. I don't want my picture by the men's room. He said, you tell the Bulls. 
I said, no, 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 Chet. It's by the locker room. It's, it's right near Jordan and uh, all the, you know, you artists go. and uh, Scotty. Don't worry about it. But so Chet's, Chet's still got some uh, intelligence coming from the ball. My, my two favorite bowls were Guy Rogers, of course, good old number five, yeah. the left-handed uh, guard. He dribbled five times at the free throw line. That was his lucky number. But McCoy McLemore, oh, that was a guy. I always loved him. He never played, so I couldn't be upset with him. No, you, know? I, you know what? He, I wrote about him in Hard Labor because he was one of the... He, he was one of he was one of the defendants and in, in, in plaintiffs in the suit that the book's about the wow. Robertson suit McCoy Maclebor amazing and just quickly I know yeah. I'm running over no, but no. Guy Rogers invented the backdoor lob dunk play with Don Coges on the Bulls Don so the first Coges. time it was ever run in the NBA with Guy Rogers and Don Coges Don Coges got up that high. <laughs> Don Coges was one of the best. Is the, still the best rebounder in Mar- in Marquette history. Okay, you remember a guy uh, named remember a guy named Henry Finkel. Absolutely, for the for the Celtics, South he, he was, even beat our Nick, my Nick. He was the ba- <laughs> he was the backup to Bill Russell. He never got in. Uh, we used to go to the Chicago Steamers, about two thousand people. We were sitting behind a Celtics bench, and we yelled for the whole game. Red, Red, put Finkel in, and Finkel turned. He looked like Herman Munster from the TV. He yeah, turned around and smiled. Footer. Yeah. yeah, he'd smile at us. Put Finkel in, or put Sam. And he would go, "Hey, that's what I'm saying." Yeah, <laughs> Sam Smith. Thanks, Sam. Always a pleasure. All right, guys. Uh, you Love have you. a great day. Thank you, Thanks, Sam. Sam Smith at uh, NBC Sports Chicago. It's Murph and Fred at ESPN 1000. We're late. Last to cover. Jesse coming up. Oh, that's right. Jesse next. He says, I got something for you guys with, with the Cubs. Take a break. ESPN 1000. This is breaking sports news from ESPN 1000. Hey, just say, hey, just say, it feels like a party every day. Hey, just say, Jesse hey, Rogers, a fan said of Jesse. He's on break. He's on vacation. He's on sabbatical. Yeah, well, we we interrupt our previously scheduled programming for uh, <laughs> a, a news a news breaker from uh, yeah. Jesse Rogers. There, right? used, there was a uh, album years ago, Rust Never Sleeps, uh, and uh, Jesse Never Sleeps either. Fans, they're out of. This one's a small one. This one's a small one, guy. That's all right. That's all right. You know what? Maybe as, a, as long as you're saying this was a small one and not anybody else, stand back. You get and, my yeah. drift. Make it bigger. Well, stand I, back. I had a I had a preface it because this is the first day free agents can sign. So I don't want to think. I want you to think I was calling in with a Bryce Harper update. No, 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 no. Justin Wilson. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Assistant hitting coach Andy Haynes is moving on. He will take a lead job with another team. I've learned this morning. I'm not sure which team yet. Yeah. Uh, but. That's less important than than what what goes on with the Cubs hitting coaches because unless they bring back Eric Hinsky, which I, I tweeted out his name, hmm. uh, that would be six different hitting coaches since yeah. the end of 2017. They had Bailey and Hinsky, and of course last year Chili Davis and Andy Haynes, and now this year uh, Iaposi and, and uh, fill in the blanks. So um, whether you believe hitting coaches you know make a big difference or not, mm-hmm. the Cubs are going to have two new ones. It, it feels like at least. Um, uh, for 2019. So Andy Haynes was PO'd. No, Andy, I think it's a promotion. I mean, he's getting well, he a lead job. No, but he didn't, so. get, he didn't get the Cubs job, did he? Oh, right, right. I don't know if he was pissed off about it, but yes, he did not get the Cubs job. They gave it to okay. Iaposi. Right, okay. Um, so, I mean, if you think about it, you know, Iaposi and Haynes are kind of John Mealy disciples in a way, and now 
all three of them have lead hitting coaches' jobs. So, again, it goes back mm-hmm. to that whole, uh, look, those guys are competent in, in what they're teaching, the launch angle era, right? Where a guy like Chili Davis on his way out is very admittedly uh, unsure of, of how he should teach hitting right now. He knows it's a different era. I mean, he said this all to me in, in other interviews. So it's, it's interesting. The launch angle phase, is, is, uh, it, it's not a fad, as, as Theo said at the end of the year press conference. This is, this is the way of baseball, and it's the, probably the best way to have a consistent offense, though it's, it, it's not the offense everybody wants to see. We all want to see everything. We want to see the home runs and the opposite field hitting and everything in between. But right now, the launch angle fad phase, whatever, is here to stay. Jess, the one thing about the, you know, the hitting, uh, the Boston Red Sox, I mean, what they did was they're a team where they would, they would use launch angle, but when they got two strikes, they would also put the ball in play. And again, I've said numerous times, that's something that Madden has been screaming for for the last couple of years. Just, you know, move the ball around is it like his phrase that he uses all the time. Move the ball around. And I think we saw that the entire playoffs with the, with the Red Sox. Their power, yeah, he comes up with JD Martinez. Help out the home run here and there. Steve Pierce is, you know, coming off the bench, going to hit home runs for him. But they put the ball in play more than a lot of other teams out there. And I think that's one of the things that hopefully the Cubs can get this year with this new guy, Iaposi. Well, this is what we talked about, what, two, three weeks ago, right, guys? I mean, the irony of the whole thing is some of that stuff you're talking about is what Chili Davis left right. on that Red right. Sox. That's what he's good at, the approach, the hitting behind the ball and going the other way and shortening the stroke. But then this year they brought out a little bit more power in this team. Now it's adding J.D. Martinez help. So the Red Sox are, you're right, are a great example of a dynamic offense. But they were about the only one in all of the majors. Now, maybe the Astros a little bit. And remember, we're also pointing out AL teams a little bit easier with that DH. Think of the NL teams. There was not one complete offense in the National League. The Brewers got a lot better when they added midseason. They also added before the season. The Dodgers, I mean, all sorts of complaints about the Dodgers being a home run hitting or nothing team. Read the L.A. Times. Bill Plasky, I think yeah. Friday, just yesterday, wrote all about the Dodgers. It could have been exactly about the Cubs basically before last year where they won or lost on the home run. Well, you know how far it got the Dodgers? Pretty darn far. But that L.A. Times column was, was kind of like what we're in. Um, yeah, well, far is, isn't good enough if it's not uh, winning the World Series. And that's kind of the same thing here. We're, we're sort of caught in between. You love the success, but it's not getting you all the way to the promised land. I still think, guys, you know, we, we should be going back to the old Atlanta Braves thing. Get in as often as you can, and once in a while, hopefully you'll win one. They only won one. Right. But I think it, we, we have forgotten that the playoffs are a roll of the dice, and I don't think that's changed in this era because it's still three out of five and four out of seven, no matter what you hit or pitch or whatever. It is a gamble, and I think we've gotten away from that judging the entire team on the playoffs. It seems like the Dodgers are doing that. And certainly the Cubs admittedly did that after 17. And now after 18, I feel like they're sort of getting back to what they were before in terms of all that launch angle stuff. All right. Now, Jesse, you're going to find Fred. We, uh, we had, uh, John Dewan on about the stat of the week, man. We had John Dewan on a couple hours ago. The new Bill James handbook came out the 30th year in a row. Bill James, who we all know, the statistical godfather and a longtime Boston Red Sox employee, his, he's got a, um, a major, uh, thesis here, a major essay, and he's talking anti-launch. Now, this is unbelievable. Theo, 
said at the postseason uh, presser when the season abruptly ended that, and you just quoted him correctly, uh, launch angle is not a fad. Bill James, and he's got the numbers and we don't have time here, but he blows that out of the water. This is unbelievable. He says a couple years ago, the idea was to get hitters to do more of the good stuff, fly balls, and less of the bad stuff, ground outs. He says, I'm jumping the gun a little. I am declaring that launch angle is a failure. In my opinion, it's just a fad. Okay, I'm going to read <laughs> on. Now, this is, this is Bill James, okay, and Theo Epstein, two of the premier guys in their industries. Uh, so it's Guys that worked well together. They did. Yeah. But it's interesting. Now, let me read one more continue here. The launch angle, Bill James says, in the new Bill James handbook, I think has pretty much played itself out. It changed the game a little, but it didn't actually do any good. So the effects that should uh, be a wash, they're going to wash out. He says, now, here's the key. I don't mean nobody benefited from getting a better launch angle. Some hitters did. However, what I'm saying is, on balance, there is no real effect as many hitters were hurt by trying to do uh, that as much as players that were helped. It was a fad. It's more than a trend, nothing more. Granted, fads and trends overlap. So everyone talks about, to paraphrase him, the guys that had helped, sure. But what about the guys, maybe Hap, Balmore, I'm not a hitting coach, I don't know, Schwarber. He's claiming that maybe more guys were hurt than are helped. It's just another way, and he's got numbers behind it, so who knows? I would say this. Uh, I, I agree that it's hurt the game because it's become a bore, more boring game be, maybe because of it. But think about what you just said. Two of the premier people in the game, James and Epstein, have yeah, completely different viewpoints. So how are we supposed to figure out? <laughs> right. I, know, love it. I agree with you. The game is in a, in a weird spot right now. And it, and it changed because of, a, of mostly the technology and information available to pitchers and hitters, yes. hitting coaches and pitching coaches. The information technology has changed things. And then the, the offset of that, of course, is the shift has changed things as well. In fact, here's a theory of mine. You know, left hand, this game was a left-handed hitting game. The teams with the best left, I'm talking about the contenders with the sure. best left-handed hitting. Mm-hmm. I almost think that's gone the other way because of the shift. Because at least a righty that grounds the ball into the hole at short might beat it out. Right. Or a lefty that grounds the ball to, to his full side won't yeah. beat it out. The better right-handed hitters might be the difference in the game sure. these days. That was not the case right. for many years. You cannot, so, you cannot put an infielder out in a short left field because he can't throw the guy out at first. You're right. exactly right. In fact, Bill James, this uh, uh, this uh, piece he wrote, the three, I won't go into it here, the three strong trends now in baseball, launch, you just said shifting and bolt penning, and he goes into it. It's unbelievable. Jesse, real quick, unfortunately, it's probably a long answer, but I need a short one. The sure. Cubs yesterday, okay, good deal. They signed uh, Cole Hamill, even though the 20 million they couldn't get two years, Fred was breaking that down, maybe 15, 15 whatever. But 
I don't understand this. I know there's a reason. Maybe you can dig this out. They released. Okay. They sold. All right. A trade. Call it what you want. They unloaded the seven million of Drew Smiley, who all we heard about was his progress. He never showed up August or September, whatever. He was, in my opinion, the fifth starter coming up. He's gone. Seven million. Now they're back to you, Darvish. He can be ready April, May. I don't know. Uh, you got to put Montgomery in there again. I like him in the bullpen. Uh, uh, there were Chadwood. Once the yips, always the yips. Were you surprised? We can talk with you more at leisure next year. Were you surprised about the Drew Smiley launch? A little bit, a little bit, but not really because Hamels basically takes Smiley's spot. Think There's about no it. Nobody fifth starter. Thought, they got no fifth yeah. starter now. Who do yeah, well, they got? Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, no, you do. Good I just Donna. said, Darvish, you counting him in April? Well, I mean, I am right now. Chatwood? Chatwood? He's got the yips. No. Once the yips, always no. the yips. That means Montgomery's back, in my opinion, and that screws up the bullpen. No, you have Lester, Hendricks, yes. Quintana, yes. Hamels, and then we assume Darvish. Oh, but it's not Darvish in Okay, Darvish in Darvish, April. All right, mark that down. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, me of little faith. Not you, me. Uh, yeah, we got it. <laughs> great job, Impromptu. He's on holiday, and he calls in. Thanks a million, Jesse. You got it, guys. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Jess. All right, Murph and Fred back. And if I know we're running late, Eric, it's uh, ESPN 1000. Man, it's got to squeeze a lot in. Oh, look outside, Fred. Sunny. What a great day, huh? Really nice out. Yeah. yeah. We should be doing a remote from an outdoor beer garden, right? Yeah, well, I'm going to have a few <laughs> beers today at the cellar door. They got some uh, Ooh, nice, some very, very good uh, craft beers, and I'm going to sample a few of them this uh, afternoon. Is that in Cicero? No. No. Downtown Downers Grove, oh, cellar door. That sounds great. Yep. So... Fred, you're the football guy uh, at the station that uh, didn't, you know, play the game professionally. Now, this is something; it's so obvious, but I had to bring it up. When, in conventional uh, offense, you know, in the old days, under the quarter, under the center, rather, or shotgun, eleven on eleven, but it's really eleven on ten when you think about it. The quarterback, and then your ten blockers, right, or wideouts, or, and then the other team's got eleven. So it's you know you're really one man short in the in football. It's a chess match, you know. But when the quarterback can run with the ball, so I was thinking, you know, it's sort of more now like your. So let's go to the uh, Bears game. Here's a soundbite. This is first quarter. Uh, the Bears got the ball third and three. They're down on the uh, twenty-one uh, yard line, and. Uh, well, they're going to talk about they had a spy. Okay. On Trubisky. Just rush four. They flush him out of the pocket. Trip him up. What a tackle that was, too, by Copeland. Because it looked like Trubisky was going to be able to get to the first down marker. Had he not just reached out and grabbed him by the foot at the last second. Copeland is a spy. He has no other job other than watching the tape and going to get Trubisky. And he does that. It's huge when you have a guy who's fast enough to go get the quarterback. If you're not, he just gets the first down there. All right, now hold that thought. In the third quarter... Fred, the Bears still up 14-3. Uh, here is now, uh, fourth and one. Trubisky's gonna, this is a designed run. It's, it's not a, uh, a read play. Right. It's not a scramble. He took the direct snap back, 
uh, I'm sorry, at shotgun and bolted to the left under the ball tucked in. So let's listen to what they say here. They're talking about when the quarterback runs, you have, you know, you sort of have an extra a, a blocker here. Let's listen. Let's see who's in the game. Is it Howard or is it Cohen? It's Howard. Got everyone condensed in. No one can shoot the gap. You just hand it off to him. Tell your quarterback you keep it if they all blitz. Or oh, you keep it yourself if you're Trubisky. And you wind your way as his uh, tackles made a couple of inches more than he needed. This is an aggressive call, but this is what Kansas City, Andy Reid called this, and Nagy did with Alex Smith all the time. They, they know on fourth and, you know, a yard, they're gonna, everyone's gonna shoot the gap inside. They wanna, like, not give you anything really easy. They wanna make you have to run it outside. Problem is, if you're running with your quarterback, you get an extra blocker. Alright, alright, stop the tape. Fred, uh, they have to account for the, when, when the team defense is against the Bears now, they have to account for him because he might run. Does yeah. that make a difference? And uh, you don't have eleven anymore. You sort of now it's like well, now eleven. On a, it's eleven and eleven. Right now you're equal. That, yeah, that's sort of huge. And when was the last time the Bears had a running Bobby Douglas? Well, I was going to say that. Yeah, you know, and, and two weeks ago, Dan Fouts kept comparing them, uh-huh. and I thought it was a bad comparison because they were different kinds of runners. Sure. And uh, the very first offensive play of the game for the Bears was a run pass option. Yes. And he gained 13 yards around the left end. So it's nice to have a guy that can do these things. See, I this just... is. I'm sorry. See, this is part of Nagy's. All the intricacies. If I let them think that my guy can run any time, they have to spy. They have to watch. They have yeah. to put a spy in. Yeah. So now you're 11 on 11 instead of 11 on 10 and your quarterback's standing back there and there's one man unaccounted for coming on in. Well, hopefully they, uh, the Bills unaccount for him, uh, tomorrow. <laughs> a noon start. Don't forget I'll be here tomorrow with, uh, Steve Michael McMichael from uh, 9 till noon Michael! breaking it down for you, getting you ready for the game. Didn't get to this next week, Fred. You can ponder this for seven days. How come field goals in the NFL for about 50 years, they'd snap it back seven yards? You know, you go right. seven. And now about two years ago, now they snap it back eight. Maybe you can work on that for this week and you can answer that for me next week. Why I haven't noticed eight. Oh, I'll yeah. have to keep an eye. I have to look at it. Because it used to be it had 10 and add seven, and that's hard to do. It's easier to go 20 and subtract three. Now they snap at eight for the last two huh. years. I'll have, to go look. I'll have to go back I've and look. Gotta know. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Who would? Only I would. I want to thank all our guests today. John DeWan, StatOfTheWeek.com, Bill James Handbook. John Mullen, uh, he's the best over at at uh, Bears, at, I'm sorry, NBC Chicago. And uh, Sam Smith. Oh, man, love Sam over at Bulls.com. Eric Ostrowski, all of his help as always. Don't forget, 3 o'clock today at Chicago's College Tailgate with... Yeah. Hoodie, along with Black and Abdallah, getting you ready for the big Notre Dame and yeah. Northwestern game tonight. Right here on ESPN 1000. Murph and Fred saying thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Turn your clocks the correct way. See you later, everybody. Yeah.